I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is Slice by Slice, a podcast where we dissect and discuss horror films by categories and subgenres, such as vampires, daywalkers, franchises, and directors' bodies of work. And of course, we can't dissect and discuss these films in the detail we do without spoilers. However, in 2002, when we get into Blade 2, I would say that one dives a lot more into the horror realm, especially with the effects and, and the visuals, possibly due to the... Uh, the new director, and they even step up the Kung Fu about 800 (laughs) notches. But uh, we'll let Josh tell you about that one. So this is four years later, which is interesting. We'll get to that in a second, though. But uh, this one's directed by Guillermo del Toro, which (laughs) I always know him as the Pan's Labyrinth guy because I'm not a big comic (laughs) guy. And then digging into this movie, they keep bringing up uh, Kronos, which I tried to watch. I just couldn't get into it, which is how... uh, uh, oh my God, Ron Perlman ended up in this. And anyways, we'll get into that later. And uh, they brought up Mimic. And I'm like, oh my God, I did not realize Del Toro did Mimic <laughs> until doing research for Blade 2. I'm like, it's, it's all starting to make sense now. Well, don't forget, he recently won an Oscar for The Shape of Water as well. Is that the movie where the chick fucks a fish? Yes. I still haven't seen that. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, this is the only film that he directed that he didn't write. He writes all of his own shit. The Hellboy movies, Mimic, Pan's Labyrinth. He writes all that shit. The Strain was, um, he's the show creator of The Strain, but he, uh, which can be very relevant to this movie in a minute when Josh gets going, (laughs) but he wanted to make a vampire TV series and he started writing The Strain. And if you have this in your notes, I'm sorry, but this is during a time where Twilight had kind of taken over. And the studio's like, fuck, you can't make a a fucking vampire movie. So he got an author to help him, and he turned it into a book series. There you go. And then later, they're like, oh, we want to make a show of it. (laughs) And you get these crazy fucking vampires whose jaws fucking dishinge, and this worm thing comes out of their mouth to feed. And where the fuck had we ever seen that before? Resident Evil 4, which means it happened (laughs) in Blade 2 first, and The Strain, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we have, you know, the same writer for all three, so we don't have to go into all that. Got Wesley Snipes again. Got Chris Christopherson again. Got Ron Perlman, as I mentioned. And we have Norman Reedus as Scud. And this is in between uh, Boondock Saints 1 and 2, if I remember correctly. And honestly, this is the first thing I ever saw him in. Like, when you finally got me to watch Boon, uh, Boondock Saints with you, yeah. I was like, oh, it's fucking Scud from Blade 2. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what he was to me. We've got Steve Johnson effects, which... You know, when you think of the big effects guys, you know, I don't, his name would never come to mind, but doing this podcast, the motherfucker just keeps showing up. And when you, when you look at what he worked on it, it's like, holy shit, this guy's been everywhere. <laughs> he was on the last episode. <laughs> he was. From Night of the Demons to fucking Ghostbusters, Abyss, Brain Scan. Poltergeist 2, th- that upsets Jesse, but we'll still bring it up. <laughs> 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 and then we had visual effects by Tippett Studio again. So this is what I should have, once again, should have looked at money. According to the commentary, the Snipes Goyer commentary, he said that the Monday after Blade 1 opened, he was told to start work on a sequel by New Line. He's like, this is great. And I'm going to get Guillermo del Toro as the director. New Line's like, the fuck you are? (laughs) Because they didn't want him. But eventually Goyer got his way. And uh, del Toro was so into it that, like every edit, every stitch of frame that he could get from the first movie he wanted and he consumed. And he made the joke. He's like, you know, the original blade in the comic books was written by a white guy. Like, let that sink in. Like how a white guy would think a black man needs to carry himself. 
And two what, white guys, and they were both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and that to him, the blade Wesley Snipes is blade. Like that's the embodiment of the comic book character to Del Toro. And it's like, that's what I want to run with. I'm not going to argue with that. He also ended up buying a bunch of props off of eBay because New Line auctioned them all off. <laughs> they didn't have any props <laughs> from the first movie. <laughs> that's fucking crazy. Have you ever seen an interview with Guillermo Del Toro? Yeah, just a couple of short ones on the behind the scenes. He just seems like a really nice, like down to earth guy that's like a famous director and doesn't realize it yet. Like he still thinks he's making student films. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> he, he, it's like watching old interviews of uh, Peter Jackson. Even as, I don't know, he was really humble when he won an Oscar as well. So it, it just seems okay. like a cool guy. There was a lot of stuff visually in the movie that he said he directly just took from Hellboy comics that like that was the world that he wanted to paint. And uh, I had her name on here. His, uh, Set designer was the same lady that he had worked with all the way back on Mimic, and she worked on this movie and helped kind of build that world around him. Yeah, because he hadn't made Hellboy yet. That was like his Correct. dream project. Yes. And he was obsessed with it. And if you notice, Scud's wearing a Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense t-shirt throughout the yes. movie, which is from which is from Hellboy. So have you seen any of the Hellboys? No. His are really good. And I would say they're like more on the drama action side. And, you know, they recently rebooted it again with David Har Harbour playing Hellboy. <laughs> okay. And that one went a little bit more horror, but it's still a goofy action movie. No, what's cool is when he points out that shirt in the commentary, he's like, which will be the next movie I make, hopefully. <laughs> like, he's already <laughs> there, you know what I mean? A couple more quick things before we get into the movie. Um, he felt the wire foo, which I think is hilarious because that's what you called it earlier, was played out and really didn't want to use it. That's the technical term for it, and I think it's really well done in this movie. I think the only thing that's odd about it is it's done like Asian cinema martial arts movies, and, and American movies weren't doing that that much then. Yeah. If you watched a Chinese martial arts movie, th this was the norm, and it's because who they got to choreograph the fights, who was famous then and even more famous now. <laughs> well, see, I always refer to it as Hong Kong wire work, but, you know. Okay. <laughs> but what's funny is Del Toro in the commentary is like, Charlie's Angels did wire work. It's done. It's done. There's no point in doing it anymore. When that stupid movie did it, I, didn't, I was never going to do it again. I thought it was really well done in this movie, and I thought it was done so well that I don't know why they do some of the bullshit fucking CGI fights and hops in the movie. And I rewatched I re all three movies again in the past two days, and honestly, I feel like maybe those were reshoots and they couldn't get the actors. Oh, <laughs> Oh, we'll get to it. The shit that should have been done, wire work that he refused to do, they did CGI and it looks shitty. They should have just done the wire work. I do want to say uh, there's too many small characters to say in the movie, but Snowman, one of the vampire hunters, is played by Donnie Yen. Yes. And he's the fight choreographer for the movie and he's really famous for all the Ip Man movies, which I don't yeah. you probably don't know who they are, but anybody watch martial art movies, I know who the fuck he is. Yes, I know <laughs> I know who you're talking about. He was one of five fight choreographers on the movie. And uh, yeah. he only he only ended up with two two main fight scenes that he choreographed, which uh, Wesley Snipes was one of the fight choreographers on this movie. <laughs> but with the setup from the first movie, we know that Blade's fighting around the world. So it's OK that we open in the Czech Republic at a blood bank. <laughs> and we see this guy, Nomak, is being brought in by some very Nazi looking staff. Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's taken to this exam table and quickly realizes that things aren't as they seem. And this one dude puts on this Freddy Krueger looking blood extraction <laughs> <Yeah>. glove thing. 
and turns around to him and Nomak starts laughing at him. And like Jesse did in the previous movie, they're action movies. If we describe all these fights, it's going to take too long. The the best part here, though, is like he's acting terrified and afraid. And the guy turns around with the gloves. And, and then he, he starts, starts laughing. Fucking manically laughing at him. <laughs> and you're like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? He quickly takes out the chick and the guard. And then he pins the last guy up against the wall. And he looks up at a security camera. And in another language, but we got subtitles, he says, vampires. I hate vampires. And we see these Resident Evil 4 squigglies come out of his mouth and we cut to the opening credits. <laughs> you can't call it that. This is before that, man. I know, but it always reminds me of the, like when the flower things would start growing out of the back yeah. of their heads and shit in Resident Evil 4. I can't, I can't help it. I played, well, I watched people play Resident Evil 4 before I actually sat down to watch Blade 2. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> so now it's like, holy shit, whatever this thing is, it hates vampires. We're on to another ride. So the opening credits actually give us a recap of the first film, the Blade backstory. And we find out that Blade's on the hunt for Whistler. And this was all an afterthought and tacked on after the movie was done. <laughs> like, whoa, what about people who never saw the first one? Maybe we should tell them what the fuck's going on. <laughs> so after the opening credits, we cut to Blade fighting some bloodsuckers who are trying to escape on motorcycles. And this leads up to him interrogating one of them with the rear tire of the motorcycle and running the throttle. <laughs> So he says that Whistler shot himself, but he had already turned and that they've just kept him alive. Now, on the director commentary, he says that this guy that he picked to play that vampire is like the Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler of Spain. And like, so okay, I can see that. It's like this, this that. movie plays very differently in Spain. Like, imagine we're doing this to Adam Sandler in this movie. <laughs> so um, the guy's a goofy, memorable character while only having very small scenes in the yeah. movie, though. So, and this, this whole fight is where, uh, the scene you were talking about earlier, where he rides up on his motorcycle and then does a kissy thing at his car and then yeah, rides yeah, away yeah. again on the motorcycle. But he ends up being led to the Moo Cow milking site and he dispatches the vampires there and he finds Whistler in a vampire matrix pod. <laughs> Speaking of the matrix, I want to use this as an opportunity to bring up that this particular movie was another turn of the century anime inspired action flick. And that's you know what Del Toro said. He was referencing certain animes like I want to feel like this kind of action. And that was something that was happening. And there's this whole, to me, this bubble that you can wrap around this underworld, the Matrix, even Triple X with the fucking rave. Like there's this weird little bubble around turn of the century where all these movies had these same elements. But at any rate. So as he gets Whistler out of the thing, you can see the what I call the vamp light in his eyes, which you see in, in the first movie and in this one where all the vampires have this slight orange glow in their eyes. And uh, it's like, oh, holy shit, he really is a vampire. And uh, Blade goes ahead and just takes him home. And there was supposed to actually be a fight between them there. And anyways, that all got cut. What didn't get cut is eight different endings of this movie because this movie actually they shot the ending they wanted, but then tacked some shit onto it. <laughs> <laughs> So back home, we meet Scud, who really wants Blade to kill Whistler, like right out the gate. He's like, I know. like don't you think we should just go ahead and kill him? <laughs> and he, he does that throughout the film. Yes. And it makes sense later, but you know. Yeah. So Blade shoots up Whistler, like with stuff, not with a gun. And uh, <laughs> he locks him in a room. He's like, when the sun rises, those shutters are going to open, whether you're cured or not, you know. <laughs> and so you know what's going on. Right, and it's really weird because a lot of the verbiage they use is almost like it's blade serum, and they're trying to suppress his hunger because they're talking about making him quit cold turkey. But yeah. then it, it's also it's 
they hint that it's the cure. So I don't know. I feel like it was filmed one way and then they changed their mind and didn't do reshoots. <laughs> but regardless, the next morning we have a back to quote unquote normal whistler and he's asking Blade how long he's been going. He's like weeks. Oh, months. And Blade doesn't say anything and just walks away. He's like, years or no he goes well he goes too long he's like oh years <laughs> so, <chill. laughs> so then whistler is introduced to scud this is the first scene where you'll notice that scud is watching powerpuff girls we'll bring this up yes. later and smoking pot pot and powerpuff girls that's <laughs> yes. his jam he's fucking smoking a joint every scene but um whistler and scud really hit it off hey we jeopardize our whole operation to save your puckered old ass. our operation yeah. Our operation, I built this operation, you ass wipe. So just then, lights go out and the alarms sound because they're suckheads breaching the building. And uh, <laughs> Scud starts saying what they should do and Whistler just knocks them the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because uh, Whistler is trying to grab a gun. He's like, you idiot, they scoped out your 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 security yeah. system. And uh, Scud's like, I'm not trusting you with a gun. And, and Whistler just lets him know how he feels about that. <laughs> yes. So we see these two vamp ninjas like swinging through the rafters and shit. And they drop down in front of where they had been standing at before everything went fucky. And Whistler just says, fuck it and start shooting at him. Anyway, I started blasting. Bah, bah. And that's going to be important because they're just there to deliver a fucking message. <laughs> right. And the, I want to say it's like four and a half minute long sword fight ensues. And this is cut down from over seven minutes. <laughs> It's a badass sword fight, though. He doesn't even unsheath his sword for two-thirds of the fight. He's just a fucking deflecting with the scabbard on it still. But this is where we have one of the bad flipping around CGI shots towards the end of the fight that would have been much better if they just did fucking wire work. And yeah, and at the beginning when they're CGI flipping in. But yeah. the uh, the sword fight and, and the actual kung fu fights here at the beginning are badass and oh, yeah. throughout the movie. I think Snipes actually said this was his favorite movie he ever shot. Like, oh, really? it's just so much fun. Yeah, but it's probably the most martial arts any of his movies were, including his martial arts specific movies. Well, I think he also had the most input in this movie as a producer and, you know, half writer and choreographer. I think I think he had more of the reins in this one as well. So the two ninjas end up saying, you know, hey, we're just here to deliver a message. Y'all shot first and we're introduced to Assad and Nisa. And they say that the vampire nation is offering a truce because there is something even worse than him on the streets. And Assad doesn't just like deliver this message. He whimpers it out because his <laughs> ass is winded <laughs> from that sword fight. So they head off to the meeting, but it's cool because Blade has a plan B and it's Simtex strapped to his fucking chest that he reveals on the chopper on the way there. And uh, Nisa's looking at a ring that she's got on her hand. We'll come back to that later. Foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> So they get to the meeting and uh, Nisa introduces her father, Eli Damaskinos. And I got to tell the Michael Bolton story here real quick from the commentary. So <laughs> what the fuck? Yes. Check this out. So you know how he's all bald and shit and like all the Reapers are bald. They look like Nosferatu. Yeah. Well, they originally had him in this wig where he's like bald on top and then this long gray hair coming down the sides in the back. And they filmed a few scenes with him in this. <laughs> And, and Del Toro and, and uh, Goyer are sitting there watching it and they're like, you know what he looks like? It's like, what? What is it? I can't figure it out. It's like, Michael Bolton. Oh, fuck. No, we're not doing this. We're not doing Get rid of the wig. We're reshooting all this. 
No, I mean, I, he's he comes off as an ancient fucking vampire, and I think that making him look like uh, Nosferatu is probably a good way to go, especially yes. that weird pallid skin complexion. He is another, like, he's one of those actors when you realize who it is without the makeup on, he's been in fucking everything. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, look up the deleted scenes on YouTube. It, the scenes with him in the wig, good God, it looks like vampire Michael Bolton. <laughs> So him and his lawyer buddy, I'm fucking lawyers again. <laughs> they thank him for eliminating Deacon Frost because he was a thorn in everybody's side. And they explain the Reaper strain and that the Reapers feed on humans and vampires. And what's worse is Reaper victims don't die. They turn. And not only that, because of their metabolism, they have to feed nearly constantly. So the vamps want Blade to lead the Blood Pack, which is the tactical group that's been busy training to kill Blade to actually go after the Reapers. <laughs> and if you think about it, this is like a really cool, like Wild West or samurai movie. Yes. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like oh, this yeah. movie, uh, it's just crazy to me, like other shit that Goyer had written and the kind of stuff Guillermo del Toro had made and how much of like an Asian martial arts movie this turned out to be. Yes. <laughs> Now, Blade agrees to this plan, but he's understandably hesitant. They're going to fuck us the first chance they get. So we get a quick scene of Nomak in this alley getting his feet on. and uh, But more importantly, we get to see a little bit more of the mouth. And we see more Reapers, because like we just got told, as as they feed, they're, they're growing exponentially. And we cut to the introduction of the pack. So Reinhardt obviously is the big swinging dick of the pack and immediately tries to start shit with Blade. And if you'll notice some of the dialogue that happens throughout the movie when shit's being said to Reinhardt is he's supposed to be fucking German. So that's why he gets called Adolf and stuff like that throughout the movie. And, and Del Toro in the commentary is just like, I don't think I, I don't think of any other movie where such a big Jew has, has played a, a German. He doesn't even come off as German. He didn't I even turn to the accent. Well, that's the thing, like. Ron Perlman's a character actor, but he's one of those guys you love him in anything you've ever seen him in, and he can't fucking act at the same time. I know, you know right? what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. His best work's probably Sons of Anarchy. Like, it's, it's the most range you'll get out of the guy. <laughs> but uh, Blade slaps him around like a little bitch, and it's hilarious because he's literally slapping <laughs> him, and he's got his little stake. He's like, do it, do it, go ahead. Go ahead, bad motherfucker. You want me to help you? Let me show you again. <laughs> Yeah. And it's kind of like a magician. While you're watching one hand, the other one's bitch slapping you. And of course, this all leads up to Blade saying, and now you've got an explosive device strapped to the back of your head. And he's got the detonator. <laughs> this is some suicide squad shit. <laughs> so Blade's got their alpha on a leash now, so it should all be good. And they head off to their first mission at the House of Pain. And they get there, and Whistler gets the whole group kitted up with vamp hunting tools including the gun-mounted UV lights. And he's like, <laughs> you know, don't flip this. You'll burn your face off type shit. Because <laughs> Whistler, he's not, he's not cool with this, and he knows that Blade knows better, so everybody's just, you know, they're on guard. And there's lots of hillbilly jokes at Whistler's expense <laughs> by the blood pact throughout the film. So they enter the, the vampire rave and start deploying cameras, and we see that Scud's posted up in his van receiving the feeds from the cameras. Second time we see him watching Powerpuff Girls. And while they're in the club, uh, Reinhardt ends up putting a, a bead on Blade with the, the laser pointer on the, the laser sight on the gun, and uh, Chupa nudges him. He's like, hey, man, he's got you. And Blade's got his arms crossed, and his lower hand already has a gun out and has a bead straight on his chest. 
that whole scene was Snipes' idea. And then Perlman. I can at, see that. I can he, see that. You know how uh, Reinhardt goes, mouths, fuck you, right after yeah. that? That was Perlman's idea, where he just did it on the spot. So that was that was a cool little thing to see that we were going to continue to have this back and forth with them. And apparently a lot of these action guys were, were doing that to each other throughout this movie, giving us all this. And it's, I think it's really cool that they kind of all went with it and had fun with it. Yeah. So the camera does this like down below the dancers through the floor into the sewers below where we see the Reapers. And one of them's all like, Daywalker. <laughs> Is he really? Yeah. Because they do this weird like sniffing thing where they, they smell the Daywalker. I remember them sniffing, but I thought it was just because they could smell food. I didn't catch the Daywalker line. But uh, the pack splits up and we basically have four mini storylines that play out. And if I tried to go back and forth, I would say meanwhile until everyone on earth was sick of hearing <laughs> the fucking word. So I just broke all these up and I will go through them. I feel like the guy in uh, SLC Punk. It has one, two, three, four, five, seven different settings, all of which I will demonstrate <laughs> for you now. <laughs> so we've got Scud in the van and the van starts getting hit and surrounded by fucking Reapers. And Scud can't see anything, and he radios to Whistler, but we see Whistler's missing from his post because he had been posted up on top of the roof and was kind of watching the door and shit. And uh, he gets the van running, and he ends up ramming one of the, the Reapers into a wall, but he can't get the fucking UV lights on. Scud's the one who realizes while all this is going on that the this is going to be the only thing that works is the fucking lights. And uh, he manages to hotwire him just in time to save his own ass because they're like breaking in through the windshield and shit. I mean, he's totally fucked. And uh, but he cooks them all and he radios to the other saying, use your lights. And Snoop Dogg would be so proud of him because he does not <laughs> drop that joint the whole fucking time. He's still chief of the whole time. He might not actually be just like in my in my mind. I just imagine him with it fucking hanging out of his mouth while he's like hot wire in the van. It, it's almost that bad. And when he first showed when when Blade first comes in with a uh, whistler, Scud even tries to give him the joint and Blade goes later, which is a funny joke talking about Blade three. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. I got it. Okay. I got it. So meanwhile, Nisa <laughs> and Blade. <laughs> are upstairs. This is our other thing that's going on. This is where we're going to get to the Michael Jackson part. Do you know about the Michael Jackson part? Uh, no. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Okay. So we've got Nisa and Blade upstairs, and there was this bit that was going to be in the movie of where they're going into these different rooms, because I kind of glossed over it, but the House of Pain Club is where these vampires can go to get any kind of freaky fetish shit on. So they're like cutting each other open and like kissing with razor blades, and then these rooms upstairs were going to be like the kink rooms where like there would be these different kind of vampires doing their own weird shit. And Michael Jackson was going to be one of the upstairs vampires and it, hmm. it didn't plan out. But according to Del Toro wanted to be in the movie and they were going to put him in one of those shots and then he couldn't be there. And uh, Goyer actually said the same thing in the, the writer's commentary. So maybe it's true. I don't know, but Nisa and blade separate. And she's quickly grabbed by Nomak. And Blade walks in on him, and Nomak confronts Blade. What am I to you? Is the enemy my enemy, my friend? Or my enemy? So Blade shoots at him, but it does nothing. And Nomak takes off. Super vampire. <laughs> Silver bullets don't work. I thought that was werewolves anyways. I know, right? Anyways, <laughs> I was going to go off on a tangent on another movie, but never mind. Oh. Um, <laughs> So they end up going off into this church and continue to fight. And now Nisa's missing in all this. Cause like I said, and this is jumping around between four different things all in this fucking club. And uh, 
Blade ends up uh, shooting him with Scud's super duper silver saber or super duper silver stabber things that he was showing Blade is like, you can inject this fucking colloidal silver into him or some shit. It's silver punch blades that injects the EDTA from the first one. Okay. He, he says, I made you some new EDTA injectors. Because he gets them and Nomak like starts to billow up and then was like, oh, I have the power and contains that shit. I just want to point out it worked on a blood god. It does <laughs> not work on a reaper. So now we know reapers are even more badass than a blood god. Wonderful writing here. Um, <laughs> it's that power creep, man. It happens on all these fucking shows and <laughs> movies and video game franchises. It stops making sense after a while. But eventually Blade ends up using his sword to reflect sunlight at Nomak, and that works, and Nomak bails. Meanwhile, we have Lighthammer and in the kitchen? <laughs> like, I don't know what area this is. Is he a fucking paladin? What's up with this name? Um, I don't know, but he was one of the, basically a preferred extra that they picked up in uh, the Czech Republic where they were shooting. His name is fucking terrible. <laughs> Unless he's a dwarf paladin in a D&D campaign, his name's fucking terrible. <laughs> so a Reaper ends up going to attack him and he smacks it in the head and it breaks its neck. But it's cool because it heals almost instantly. All that was a puppet, which mm. fucking fascinating. But Lighthammer does end up managing to knock it out. And as he goes to check on it, which you never do. I mean, this guy's never seen a horror movie, obviously. He's a it's, fucking vampire and he doesn't know how to check if a vampire's dead. Um, it ends up jumping up and bites him and it's feeding on him and the camera goes around to its back and you'll see its back open up in this goo draining out. And I've always been perplexed by this. And Del Toro explains it in the commentary. He wanted them to feed like ticks and mosquitoes because their metabolism is so fast that these insects actually shit while they're feeding. That it filters oh. that quickly and that he wanted to show that the Reapers worked the same way. Like, this makes so much sense now because I always thought that was a weird shot. <laughs> so uh, Lighthammer's chick comes in, uh, Verlaine, and she ends up shooting at it and that gets it to release Lighthammer and it takes off. And he says, oh, it got me on the back, but I'm cool while he's covering up the bite on his neck. Yeah, she's like, did it bite you? He's like, no, it just scratched me. And I'm like, do these motherfuckers not check for bites? Like, it's like they don't know how vampires work. <laughs> and uh, you do get another good shot of the mouth opening up, which was, again, a puppet. And they did, they, okay. added, they added in shit with CGI. There was a lot of use practical where you can touch it up with CGI, which you and I both agree with that approach. And yeah, apparently Del Toro does as well. Meanwhile... <laughs> <laughs> you ended up meanwhile in anyways. I know, right? So the rest of the group in the club, this is what goes down with them. Um, they're trying to spot the Reapers in the club. That's what's going on. And they finally see one at a bar. Oh, shit, it's two at a bar. And then they got rid of that joke because they thought it was going to be too cheesy. They actually had this all set up to where it was going to oh, okay. be. Three Reapers are sitting at the bar. It's like, let's not do that. Um, but all hell breaks loose when they reveal themselves. Everybody throws down. Snowman, what's his nuts? Uh, <laughs> Donnie Yen, give him some fucking respect. Okay. Thank you. He ends up in this little mini fight with one and ends up stabbing it into the wall. And the Reaper just fucking crawls up the wall like a fucking roach, ripping the sword out of its stomach and through its groin. And it scurries up into the shadows. And uh, that was thought of on set right then. And it's ingenious. And I do want to say, if you haven't seen this one and you've only seen the first one or the third one or anything, Josh and I are kind of blazing through this one because it's just a 
it is a series of fucking action fights. Oh, yeah. The Reapers are horrific looking fucking monsters and they mob like zombies and they are fucking awesome as far as, as <laughs> horror movie shit goes. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I feel like this this movie out of the trilogy is the best horror one and the best action one. Like it's, yeah. it's the best Blade movie. It's the best Blade movie. I agree wholeheartedly. And what sucks is there's so much action. It distracts from the horror, which in my opinion. It is, man. It once it gets going, it just goes. I mean, we're I'm we're fixing to hit the the hour mark already. Well, it's like you know we keep joking about the underworld movies. Like the underworld movies have really good lore, and then sometimes they like really overuse CGI for the werewolves and shit like that. And sometimes they're practical. And it's cool. And these reapers are fucking terrifying looking. They really <laughs> are. And there's so many of them. And the vampires are shitting their pants when they come for them because they're so afraid of them. Blade even seems scared, and they really. I mean, it's because, I mean, Guillermo del Toro might do fringe horror shit, but I mean, he knows what he's doing, like with the spooky vibe. Like, he knows how to throw it in there. But uh, as the group continues to fight the Reapers in the club, they're realizing that the the bullets aren't doing shit. Silver isn't doing shit. Chupa just keeps wasting the shit out of ammo, even after he's told this. Right. And uh, Priest ends up getting bit. And that's our actual first full-blown reveal of the mouth open for a while before it bites. And Reinhardt uses his light to roast one after getting the radio call from Scud. Use your flashlights, use your UV flashlights, and they start to take them out. Now, everybody kind of regroups right after Priest gets bit. Club's empty now, of course. And uh, Priest is turning, and the whole idea is that you would turn uh, in a matter of minutes from being bit by one of these Reapers. And uh, as they're walking up, because it's Blade and Nisa walking up together, he asked her why she was spared by Nomac, because Nomac just kind of held her, gave his little, is the enemy of my enemy, my friend or my enemy spiel, and then runs. It's like, hmm, what's going on here? Foreshadowing. <laughs> Honestly, you say foreshadowing, I feel like that part's bad writing, because she is surprised. She's as surprised as we are later. <gasps> well, and that's shitty, but we'll, we'll it get got into goyered. It got goyered, okay? <laughs> There you go. We'll get into that when we get to it. So Priest is fucking wailing while he's dying and turning. And Reinhardt's just like, Jesus, somebody shut him the fuck up. What <laughs> yes. about fucking misery? So Chupa's shooting him. And of course that doesn't work. And Reinhardt goes to decapitate him and he cuts off half his head. It looks like the Constantine brain demon thing. Yes, it does. And then uh, there's a reason it's Tippet Studios. <laughs> But uh, Blade ends up taking out Priest from Dust Till Dawn style. He shoots the wall. We get some sunlight coming through. He's poofed, but what's left of his head is still blinking. So it's letting us know that even pieces of the body continue to live. As they go to leave, Whistler's like, you know, Scud's giving Whistler shit again. It's like, this motherfucker left his post, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, well, I was following this asshole. And he goes and shows him where a Reaper was. He was chasing down below and where they were all scurrying back into the sewers, this one got its arms stuck in this door that closed, and he's been sitting there trying to gnaw it off like a dog. So they end up taking the the injured one back because it hasn't gotten to feed for a while because it's been trapped. So it's like really fucking lethargic and starving. And uh, I don't know how much of a point they've made, but Nissa's is kind of like the vampire scientist too, right? She's like, I need him back in my lab, right? Pretty much. <laughs> she doesn't sound anything like that. <laughs> but they hinted that earlier at the base, like when he fucking played whose dick's bigger, Reinhardt with the bomb in his head. We saw that she has like a lab and shit. Yeah, she's she's the nerdy one of the group. She's their whistler. There you go. And they they bring it back and they're examining it while Chupa watches Powerpuff Girls. Powerpuff Girls, third time. We'll get back to that. 
So they're like, freaking crack the chest open and everything. And they learned that the heart is encased in bone and it's only vulnerable from the side. And she's like cutting her finger and dripping blood into it to prove her theory that it wakes the whole body back up. Like, holy shit, this thing is just built to feed and it can do anything it wants. Yeah, because basically the body was still dead, but the organs yes. were like, oh, I know how to eat. I can eat and shit. That's about all I got right now. <laughs> Simultaneously. It's about like me after Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, unfortunately, I do. <laughs> but Blade's like, all right, the only way we're going to fight these motherfuckers is during the day. Better get you some sunscreen, buttercup. So now we have kind of our little montage of regrouping for the next attack. And Scud and Whistler go to work on some UV grenades. And Powerpuff Girls is on again, this time like right up, taking up half the frame up against the camera while they're working in the background. And uh, everyone gets kitted up. And Scud also shows off his UV super bomb, where he's got a bunch of little bombs together and a little detonator on top. And he's like, you know, maybe if you can get them cornered, you can just blow them all up with this and shit. And, you know, it's showing him and Whistler kind of bonding and he's telling the stories like, yeah, I met these two girls and, you know, I thought we were going to get down and they took me back over there and then started eating me. And we're like, oh, OK, I feel sorry for you, kid. Whistler doesn't say that, but that's kind of the whole thing they're setting up there. But uh, Whistler warns Blade that he thinks he's getting too close with Nisa. And it seems like a weird out of place line just because he sees her, you know, sees him kind of close with her. This was right after the cut post sex scene where they come out of the bedroom and blades in a robe like his Hugh Hefner robe and shit. And Nisa's like sitting on his lap and all that shit was cut. So that's why that line was was theirs. It was supposed to be right after that scene. See, I didn't even know about that scene. And the line wasn't out of place to me because they have a couple of moments up to that point, And then like literally seconds before that scene, they have kind of like a up close to personal bonding moment. Yeah, because, well, she's been like, first she sees him through the doorway doing his serum. Then she, you know, totally walks in on him doing his serum, you know, and there's there, there is a little thing, underlying thing, but they originally planned to go way like, like <laughs> balls deep with it. I'm just, I'm just saying, if you don't see the commentary, I don't think it's that, that, um, although something else they don't really dig deep into, but if you pay attention to a lot of things she says, it's, she doesn't, it seems like she doesn't really like being a vampire. True. She does that later at the whole, I was born this way. I can't help it. Yeah. Well, she, she made peace with it and he has it. I don't think it adds to the story. It doesn't add to the depth of her character. It doesn't add to the depth of his character. That's why I'm, that's always my hang up with these. It's like, let's intertwine these two. And I get that. Uh, I do say in this movie though, you at least it, it gives like, um, a feeding scene and him trying to, you know what I mean? Like that makes that scene a little bit more strong. It makes it more, it makes it make more sense. And there is at the very end, like he's trying to defend her and stuff. And it, I feel like it kind of added to it in this movie a little bit, just a little bit. So back to the tunnels. And as soon as they go down in the tunnels, they do exactly what you do in any good horror movie. You split up, stay together. <laughs> no, no, wait, what? <laughs> oh no 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 I thought you were asking me what should you do <laughs> and of course it ends up being Reinhardt Chupa and Whistler together and they also have Reaper Pheromone with them they want us to spray on some suck puppies nut juice cause that's gonna be real fucking important here in a minute so Reinhardt and Chupa start whooping up on Whistler and Reinhardt leaves Chupa to finish him off because it's eye for an eye we lost a guy the last time out now you gotta lose a guy but while he's getting beat up on and they go or Reinhardt goes to leave. Whistler pulls out his little thing and sets it there, which is starts spraying out the pheromone. Meanwhile, Lighthammer turns and goes after Verlaine who escapes straight up a manhole 
with using the sunlight to kill them both. It's important though when when she finds Lighthammer, he's feasting on Snowman or whatever the fuck in the other guy's bodies. Like he's already killed what's left of the team. Yeah, because they the way they split up was very bad for a lot of parties involved. It might just be Snowman's body, but he's definitely fucking eating one of them. He's yeah. definitely eating Snowman. I just can't remember if there's a second corpse there or not. I, I don't remember, but yeah, it's it's him because they drop like flies real quick. But I did like the scene with her going and killing them both with the, the sunlight. I yeah, that yeah. Was cool. Of course, while all this is going on, they're constantly getting attacked and more and more surrounded by Reapers, like a lot of Reapers. Like we got to CGI these fucks, Reapers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so one time I was OK with CGI. It's because they needed like a fucking thousand of them. <laughs> and Reinhardt goes to arm the super bomb, but the fucking detonator switch is stuck. Meanwhile, Blade saves Nisa from an attack which is what he's doing at this point. He just keeps saving her. So Blade calls everyone to regroup and <laughs> Chupa gets eaten by a bunch of Reapers because Whistle had set up the fucking pheromone spray. And he fucking ends up- Fucking nut juice went everywhere. <laughs> and Whistler does what Whistler does. And he hobbles his cripple ass away while this is going yeah. on. <laughs> well, let me limp my way over here. <laughs> no um, hillbilly heaven for Whistler on this day. <laughs> So by now, what's left of the pack is overwhelmed and Blade has to keep saving Nisa and Reinhardt at this point now. And he heads back for the super bomb by himself. And he realizes that the lever's stuck and Reinhardt didn't tell him about it until now because he's like on the radio and he's like, oh, Blade, I forgot to tell you the detonator's stuck because he's trying to get his ass killed at this point. It's fucking yeah, obvious. Yeah. And because uh, he don't give a shit. He, Reinhardt does not care about the cause. All he knows is, look. I hate Blade. I will kill Blade, damn it. <laughs> and apparently he's German, but Ron Perlman doesn't do accents. <laughs> he smokes cigars and he punches things and he rides <laughs> motorcycles. Actually, random facts. When they hired him for Sons of Anarchy, where he's the head of the motorcycle gang that the main character's in, he was terrified of the fucking motorcycle and was scared to learn how to ride it. That's awesome. I would just assume Ron Perlman rode Harleys for like while fucking chewing on cigars <laughs> instead of smoking them. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Blade being Blade shoots the lever, gets the detonator to go on the bomb. And this is dumb because Nisa sees the light in time to know to dive under the water. Guess what? If she could see the light, she'd be more burnt than her ass is after this scene. It's a cool scene though, because I like the way he like pulls his sword out. He stands like a fucking samurai. <laughs> you know what I mean? And the yeah. light bombs go off, and the Reapers start diving out of the water, and he just fucking murders all of them. But still, the way light works, there's that shot of her seeing the light come come down the tunnel. She should have been more burnt. At least she was partially burnt. At least they did that. She was. She is burnt after the fact. But yeah, it is weird. They make the UV move like it's uh like magic controlled water. Yeah, is the best way I can describe it. Right. <laughs> so the bomb goes off she survives the blast we don't directly see what happens to reinhardt meanwhile whistler walks right into nomak who doesn't kill him he says he's gonna spare him as long as he delivers this message that it's the truth and it's the story the truth about this ring he starts whispering in his ear and uh this goes back to the helicopter scene with the ring that we saw of nisa's and if you pay attention you can tell it's the same family crest which is what we'll find out later. We don't know it's the family crest yet, but it's obviously the same type of ring that she had. So the smart people have it all figured out at this point, <laughs> at least that part of it. So we cut away from the whisper story to blade finding a 
fucked up Nisa. Like I said, I'm glad they at least did that. And he lets her feed on him. Whatever. I got this, the whole, he's the day walker. He can be fed on. I don't, I don't get that. He's a hybrid. I know, but still. It works both ways. It's a new America, Josh. I know, right? You're saying blade, blade goes both ways. Blade, blade's blood works both ways. I want you to say that to Wesley Snipes' face. <laughs> I would say, do you think Blade thinks <laughs> you gotta let him, you gotta let him know he's in control, okay? And then he will whoop your ass. Yes, totally. Oh, seriously though, if you think about it, I mean, um, Karen injected his blood into her. She didn't turn into a vampire. He bit Karen. She didn't turn into a vampire. No. It, it's all I don't over the think place. he can make vampires. I'll give you that. No, it's just weird little things that if you this is one of those another one of those movies where you just have to go along for the ride. Yeah, but when Quinn's hand is cut off and one of his groupies is he uh bandaging it, she starts eating on his fucking nub. Remember yeah. when he gets mad? So apparently any blood works. <laughs> They're all just a bunch of junkies. Well, you just gotta think like they don't have their own blood. So that's that's human blood that they ate recently. Well, he doesn't eat blood either. I know, right? Well, then he has to. Well, then his body has to make its own blood. His See, this is what I'm shit. talking about. If you start picking this shit apart, it becomes impossible. <laughs> no, no. If you remember this, all their strengths and none of their weaknesses. That means that he's fucking immortal and <laughs> heals constantly without having to eat people. He's the blood god. Technically, yeah. <laughs> what right. does Drake tell him? What does fucking Dracula tell him at the end of the movie? They were trying to make the perfect vampire and he already exists. Yep. Anyways, so just like in the first one, out come the cattle prods. They always <laughs> work on super strong people. Of course, Blade's distracted with Nisa. He gets captured again along with Whistler. Rolling up into the third act now. So they wake up deep in the lair. And Damaskinos explains, did I just say that with an Asian accent? <laughs> I don't know, but before you got to that, you used like a dungeon master voice. To like set the scene of the third act. Where did that come from? Oh, I was going to, I was going to describe the lair after, after this line of dialogue. I want you to be my dungeon master. I think <laughs> at any rate. So <laughs> Damaskinos explains the plan once again, like a bond villain that no Mac was a failed attempt at a super vampire, but soon he's going to build an entire new race with no weaknesses, not even to sunlight. Oh, okay. That's what he needs Blade for. We're doing this again. But he's telling the story while holding this little fetus that he's pulling out of this bigger apparatus. And in the wide shots, you realize, oh, those are all little little reaper fetuses. And there's like this big blood fountain thing. And what gets explained in the commentary is it's the blood filtration system that's being used to feed all the fetuses. Like that's the whole reason for this big elaborate Thing, which it felt good to have that explained. You know, most of the time it's just like, why is that there? And the director's like, because it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it is obvious in the movie they're trying to basically make the perfect vampire, right? Yeah. Like, let's take all the weaknesses away and the Reaper was a mistake. Kind of like the Chinese were trying to do with the coronavirus. Yeah. yeah wait, what? <laughs> so he takes off after he gives his big bond spiel and we've got Reinhardt in there with blade and you got scud kind of hanging out in the background and Reinhardt shoots blade in the leg. I got an important question here. All of our listeners want to know what is scud smoking a J in the scene? No, he's been captured. Now they got his weed. <laughs> oh no. Unless he had an emergency one up his pooper. I think he's SOL. I think only the heroin guys do that. <laughs> I have to check. So he's talking all this shit to Blade, you know, when he shoots him and Blade's like, you know, how about this sucker? 
you know, something. And he hits the detonator, but the head bomb doesn't go off. And Reinhardt takes it off and throws it to Scud while Scud goes on this long diatribe about he snuck in and he flips his lip over and there's there's the tattoo. He's one of uh, Damaskino's familiars and he's been playing them fools for the entire fucking time and blah, 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 blah. And uh, just being really snide and fucking turncoat and anybody who didn't like him can fully hate him now. Right, right. And he ends up saying, when it all goes down, I'd rather be a pet than food. What do you think about that, man? It's not a dud. Oh, great. So Scud goes boom. So it's like a quadruple uh, cross here. So did Blade wire <laughs> in a fake notification sound to, to fool both of them? I don't know, but what's funny is <laughs> <laughs> out of all the vampires going boom in these movies, Del Toro says he's asked, do you want a wet explosion or do you want a dry explosion? He's like, let's do a dry explosion for this one. <laughs> if you watch, it really is a dry explosion. <laughs> So Blade and Whistler, because in come the cattle broads again, <laughs> like immediately right after this, Blade and Whistler get taken away and Blade gets put on this table where these big ass fucking, they're not even needles, they're these spike things, kind of like in the first I movie. No, I don't even know what word to use oh, for them because they're so big. They <laughs> Oh, that's what she said. Um, Basically, Mrs. Vibrators come through Blade's kneecaps. Yes. And lawyer dude fucking shows up and says that they're going to harvest his blood, his organs, anything they have to for the cause. Meanwhile, Nomak is sneaking up on the place and he manages to get inside. And while he's making his way in, Damaskinos tells Nisa that he has chosen the race over family because she confronts him. It's like, what the fuck have you done? Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he believes in the cause more than he does family. That's some serious shit right there. I mean, you know, and it's that scene right there when she confronts him and he says all that shit. That's when you should really know where Nomad came from and exactly how how it's all playing out. So. At this point, you know, Blade's getting drained on the table. Whistler's in like this room next to him. You got uh, the family reunion fixing to happen <laughs> with <laughs> Nomad coming back in, whooping up on some people. But uh, Whistler ends up picking his cuffs because uh, Reinhardt's in there with him. And uh, he whoops up on Reinhardt. And then he goes under the floor, under the wall, and into the next room. And from the floor, shoots the shit out of lawyer dude in the room with Blade. And uh, Nomak is going through security guards like Lunchables while this is going on. I mean, just fucking tearing through them. I mean, it's what I look like with a fucking can of Pringles. <laughs> so Whistler does the code on the thing to make all the things come back out of Blade, which <laughs> it looks like it hurts more coming out than it does going in. Oh, yeah, because they're like, I mean, they're shaped like a rocket or an arrow. So it's like, I mean, yeah, I'm not an expert, but if you get shot by an arrow, to my understanding, it's easier to just pull it the rest of the way through, right? Yes. You don't pull the arrowhead back out. Exactly. And uh, they do there. <laughs> <laughs> so Whistler frees Blade and Blade crawls over to the fetus filtering filtration system. <laughs> and he falls in and makes his big splash down. So he's in the super fetus feeding blood so like the whole crack rejuvenation thing like you joked about right so he comes out reinhardt's there one of three ending fight scenes that are fixing to happen back to back to back so reinhardt pulls out blade sword and goes at blade with it and blade catches the blade in his hands in the you know i'm a ninja move and supposedly right. snipes actually cut his palm doing that scene 
Um, okay. They, they use an actual metal sword because if you look, when they turn off to the side, you can actually see the sword bending a little bit. There's no way you can pull that off with rubber. You know, I'm sure there was yeah. a dulled edge and shit, but supposedly he got injured. It's funny that he wasn't scared to catch the metal blade, but I, I left this out in the first movie. He was scared to get close to the sarcophagus on the commentary. He's like, that shit could pinch you. <laughs> <laughs> so Wesley Snipes, big fucking jacks, kung fu master, tough guy, doesn't like blood blisters either. This just in. <laughs> he doesn't want to get pinched. So it's pretty funny. Oh. But he ends up slapping the blade away and then just quickly just bifurcates Reinhardt. Like, that's it. No more Reinhardt. <laughs> it's not much of a fight scene, actually. <laughs> Meanwhile, Damaskinos almost escapes and he's got Nisa with him. But then he's going for the door and you hear this toot, 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 and all the shutters start closing. And he turns around. And he's like, what the fuck? She's like, oh, I bypassed the security system. And uh, he's like, you, you, you killed us both because she's locked down the building now. So as Nomak approaches, Demoskinos tries to be fatherly with him. And they have this conversation in the vampire language. So you got to read it all. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, you know, take your place, you know, at my right hand as, as, as the prince. And I'll find the cure for you with all our resources. Right. Yeah, and we'll rule the world together. And then, uh, Nomak says, well, if this is true, father, why does your voice tremble? And like, that's a, <laughs> I love it. I wish we could have it on here, but it's in foreign ease, so it, it's not as impactful. <laughs> and he's in vamp speak is what we're going to call it. Okay. It's, it's the uh, 30 days of night language. And, uh, <laughs> and so he rips pop's throat out, which kills him for some reason. And he bleeds green blood everywhere for some reason. He explains it. Who explains it? Nomax explains it. He bites him. Yanks really hard, and he says, Father, I have spared you the curse that I live. Uh -huh. I have merely made you bleed all of your life essence, and you will just die. <laughs> I don't remember that at all. Like, 100% don't remember that at all. Because <laughs> if you notice, he has normal vamp things. Yeah. I'm assuming he just ripped his throat out with that instead of with the fucking sucker thing. But uh, the funny thing is, is on the commentary, Del Toro is asked why the green blood. And uh, he's like, because America's funny about things like that. And uh, sometimes the monster just needs to have green blood. But it's almost like he's making an MPAA <laughs> joke. Oh, in a hundred percent. There's a, what we covered a movie recently where they purposely made the blood or the guts green, and yeah. it was to get past the MPAA. Do you remember what that was? You can go all the way back to Evil Dead for some of that. Why they use black blood? Oh, Sam Raimi didn't care in Evil Dead. He put his own rating on it and shipped it out to the theaters himself. I know, but there, we've covered a lot of movies where it has happened, where it's been explained that it was, there's too much blood and to, or movies where they've done it with different color blood instead of red, only to find out later that they probably could have gotten away with it. <laughs> I mean, we're going to find out in the, <laughs> in the third film in this trilogy that you can say some shit that I'd never think would make it to a theatrical version of the film. And apparently it does. So Nisa then just straight up submits to Beanie or just turn, but we don't know yet because Blade interrupts. we got to have another throwdown. There's this not as long drawn out fight um, between Blade and Nomak, which towards the end of it has another cartoonish looking CGI jumping shot. Oh, when they charge each other? Yeah. Uh, well, that one's not too bad, but the, the jumping and flipping and, Blade doesn't have any bones in one shot, just like earlier in the movie. Like, it should have just done the wire work and 
But anyways, Blade ends up managing to stab Nomak in the heart by stabbing him through the side, just like Nisa had explained when they had one open on the table. He falls down and he knows he's fucked and he actually grabs the blade and forces it the rest of the way into his own heart. I wish I remember what he said, but it's basically (sighs) you bested me and you're honorable. Yeah. Uh, And he says, it's strange. I no longer feel the pain, but I feel pain. It's something like that, right? Yeah. It's very samurai-esque. So then back to Nisa, who says she can already feel herself changing and she wants to see the sun and wants to die as a vampire. And this was tacked on. This was reshot. This was composited and on a soundstage and not on location, which, by the way, that whole location for the end of the movie, the whole layer and everything, that whole uh-huh. set was literally built like the outside, oh, really? all of it. Yeah, because they they make jokes the whole time about how cheap labor is over there and how cheap the extras are over there. I'm like, <laughs> oh, we, we could do so much work over there. That's why we shot there. But I was bothered by why didn't she go poof? like what's his nuts did in the first one when he got exposed to the sunrise and del Toro says that it's because he died unwillingly and all the energy was violently released and she died willingly and accepted it. And that's why she had a peaceful death when being exposed to the sun. So My he made ass. up some bullshit redcon stuff. So you're trying to tell yes. me it's because he wanted it to be an emotional, sad death yeah. and she needed to burn slowly. I was watching it tonight and I'm like, it's so strange that he went that route. Yeah. And then you're telling me he's like, oh, she went willingly into the day. Yeah. It's <laughs> dumb and he talks the bullshit. So it's all over. Cut to London. <laughs> Spanish comedian part. dude. Whatever happened to him? Well, he's at fucking Ham Palace and he goes into the nudie booth and he's grabbing him some tissues. Is it really called fucking ham palace? Yeah, if you look at the sign above the door, it lights up for just a second. It says fucking ham I palace. I wish I made that up. <laughs> and uh, the little window's open, and instead of a girl, it's Blade. Well, you didn't think I forgot about you, did you? <laughs> and credits. But uh, the Powerpuff Girls thing really bothered me. Hence why I noted it so many times in my notes. And in the commentary... It never gets said why. And so I go Googling and I Google so hard. I end up on Guillermo del Toro's Twitter feed where somebody asks him flat out, why is Powerpuff Girls featured so many times in Blade 2? And he replies with, I explained it on the commentary. And the person who asks says, thanks, I'll check that out. That's it. End of thread. No other people. No other comments. I watched the movie with his commentary twice after reading this just to try to find this. And he never even points out that it's happening. (laughs) However, on Goyer's commentary, he points it out. So Del Toro must be a forgetful ass or confused motherfucker. Cause it wasn't his commentary. It was the writer's commentary. He said it. And the editor, like I sometimes do to you removed what he said. <laughs> uh-huh. And he, I mean, honestly, do you think he goes back and listens to the commentary Hell after he records no. it? No, I'm just saying. No. It, it so caused, he probably said it and it got cut. It caused me to go down this fucking wormhole. And then I go listen to the other commentary and I'm like, huh. And of course, all they say is it was, it, they asked for Speed Racer and they said, you can't have that, but you can have Powerpuff Girls. Now, conspiracy time. Warner Brothers owns Cartoon Network. Warner Brothers owns New Line at the time that this comes out. The Powerpuff Girls movie was released the summer that this movie was released. I'm curious as to whether or not they went ahead and threw Powerpuff Girls in there because they knew they had the Powerpuff Girls movie coming out six months later. 
Now you'd have to time the release date of the movie for that. Do you think most Blade fans are huge Powerpuff Girl fans? The one shot where it's filling the fucking screen and the little sliver on the side is is Whistler and Scud talking to the background feels like fucking marketing, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But it's Occam it Fraser, man. The, the most logical. Oh, we got a Powerpuff Girls movie coming out. Put that shit in there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Anyways, we talked about it before and during, you know, it's, it's a fun ride. It is a fucking action flick with a lot of horror shit in it, but I think the horror is overshadowed by the action. See, in this one, I feel like it's the most horror and the most action. Like, and I, I felt like they met the line pretty well because I mean, you even have like the fucked up torture porn, like the vampire getting their spine removed out or whatever in the bar yeah. and the reapers look creepy as fuck. And they, they mob like zombies. And I mean, if you're going to say what I'm more horror than the other one, I, I, I give this one the most horror out of the trilogy. Yeah. And that's what del Toro said that he really wanted this movie to be the horror movie that the first movie wasn't that, you know, the first one was the establishing movie with the action and that this needed to be the darker movie, but it ended up being the full on action flick with the, the, the darkest elements in it. Well, until right. that fucking Pomeranian though, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hilarious that at one point new line didn't want him on the project. And I wish I would remember to mention that at the beginning, new line made all three of these movies until they went defunct, which by the end of the third one, I might can possibly explain part of that. <laughs> well, to get to the end of the third one, you're going to have to get to the beginning of the third one, which is blade Trinity from 2004. Oh, Oh, it's my turn again. Um, let's do the, uh, director writer cast thing here, but it's going to be very brief because <laughs> there's a lot of familiar names. So it's written by David S. Goyer, as we stated before, it's also directed by David S. Goyer and, Guillermo was supposed to return, supposedly, but then he got gifted his uh, dream project of Hellboy. Ah. So Blade 3 could get fucked. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he went and did his dream project. And I want to say at this point in time, David Goyer had only directed a movie called Zigzag, and it had a lot of people in it that show up in this movie. Ah. But he made Blade Trinity as a director, and then... He did some movie called The Invisible, then he did The Unborn, and a couple TV show episodes. That's it. So his director credits are not as strong as his writer credits. Yeah. <laughs> I think earlier I said Batman was something that he wrote, Batman Begins, but he might have even wrote the whole trilogy, or at least it carried his story. He at least got a story by credit. Yeah. I, I also want to point out, though, that this motherfucker wrote both Terminator Dark Fate and um, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Oh, yeah. The second Ghost Rider, which is worse than the first one. And he, he wrote Man of Steel, and I think he wrote Batman versus Superman. These are big blockbuster movies, but they weren't good. No. Like, this guy keeps getting <laughs> his name attached up. I actually want to come to your house because there's a, there's a VR game called Vader Immortal that I've always wanted to play. It's okay. a Star Wars game, obviously. And it's on <laughs> Oculus only for VR, but it's coming on PlayStation VR this summer. Right. Ah. So that's where you come in. <laughs> Screenplay and story written by David S. Goyer. Uh. I'm scared, but I'll <laughs> buy it for us. It's for us for science. Anyways, so so David Goyer, this was 
not his first film, but it was his second film. And, and the other one, I don't think it was a blockbuster either. This might have actually been the bigger movie of the two for him. He obviously also wrote it. I do want to say before we get into this with him as a director on this one, some of the framing and the shots, especially with Parker Posey and her henchmen, some of the most comic book-esque framing and setups are in this movie. Out of all three of them, the look of some of the shots in this felt more comic booky to me. And some of the scenes feel more vampire-like than some of the other scenes. And I actually have that in my notes. Okay. So he, he did a good job of that stuff. I, you know, we always say that like a director can only be so good and they have to go off of the screenplay. I feel like that happened to him, but he also (laughs) wrote the screenplay. Oh, some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill. (laughs) Exactly. If you listen to his commentary on all three movies, I didn't even listen to the second movie, but I'm just going to take a wild guess. Like he always has like three beginnings, five middles, eight openings, and he basically flips a coin and then ties it together. And I I just feel like that's his writing style. (laughs) And Batman Begins is a fucking milestone of a film and I don't know how he did it. I'm just going to say Christopher Nolan's that good. (laughs) We need to look and see who else wrote on that. I bet we had other writers. Anyways, the tangents that we can go and David Goyer, (laughs) you're fucking hilarious on the commentaries. If I'm insulting you right now, email me a fuck you. I just want it. Okay. Okay, I just want to hear from you because I mean, I have fun with all three of these movies. Yeah, and he can he can also tell you about how he wrote it three or four different ways and then had to flip a coin <laughs> exactly. to pick which one to send. <laughs> I'm talking, you will find out, I'll just say it right now, during this movie, while they're filming expensive scenes, David Goyer has like random things in his hands hiding off camera and fucking pegging the actors in the head with shit, trying to make them laugh in the middle of shots and shit. Like he's just having a good time the whole time. <laughs> Who's his dad? Did, did his dad get <laughs> Somebody owes some money somewhere. I don't know. Anyway, sir. I'm just going to bring up our additional primary cast because that's all that's important here, right? Because we've already, we, we've beaten the dead horse yeah, with yeah, Snipes yeah. and Christopherson, right? So Dominic Purcell's on the movie is Drake. I think at this point in time, he was probably most known for the show Prison Break, where he's okay. one of the two primary brothers. Love that show. Love him on that. However... Currently, he's on Legends of Tomorrow, and he's one of my... How do I keep it up on the CW shows? But (laughs) (laughs) he's Heat Wave, and he's basically a bank robber with a flamethrower gun that's now a good guy, and almost every scene ends with him saying, I need to go drink a beer. (laughs) He's always hammering a beer on the show, okay? (laughs) And it's really funny, because when you listen to the commentary you hear about the physical training Jessica Beale and Ryan Reynolds had to go through. Cause let's just go ahead and say it. Jessica Beale and Ryan Reynolds are also additions to this film. Yeah. And they went through a lot of martial arts training and a lot of bodybuilding training. And David Goyer is like, every time I said cut, they'd pick up like a whole chicken breast and they'd be fucking gnawing on it. <laughs> and David Purcell's like, I go hammer a beer. Right. <laughs> and it, he's Australian and all this. I never knew he was Australian until this because I've seen him in things. He never has an accent. But we have him in this. We have Jessica Biel, which is she's probably most famous from being in Seventh Heaven, right? Yeah. Like when we were younger. And a shit ton of other things. Not horror related. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, she's famous. She's a household name. And then uh, Ryan Reynolds is in the movie as Hannibal King. And he's probably most known right now for being Deadpool, yep. which he admits that his Hannibal King and Deadpool are the same character. He doesn't act differently. Okay. Yeah. 
I have a bone to pick with that, but we'll get there. And Parker Posey, I'd say she's the other predominantly added character. And I mean, she's an indie superstar, right? Like the party girl movies. It was where she got her big start. She was in Scream 3, right? Yep. We, we mentioned her there. She's currently on the Lost in Space Netflix show. She's a, she's a fucking gem. Party Girl is the weird one because I remember me and you both watching that, which is a weird thing to say, you know, two teenage dudes watching. It was a funny-ass movie, and it was the movie that made me actually like her. That's because we used to just fucking watch IFC for hours when we yeah. were teenagers, like basement-dwelling nerds that we were. <laughs> And Ryan Reynolds, for the longest time, I hated him because I felt like his whole shtick was Brody. Like he just took the Brody character from Mallrats and just ran with it. And that that was the only zone he could live in. And it really was this and waiting that I started to come around to the guy. (laughs) Well, I mean, waiting, I fucking, I worked in, in the food industry a lot in my life through through college and stuff. And, I mean, that movie just feels so genuine. And then to find out that he made up most of his lines in that movie, you're like, yeah, this guy's probably fun to hang out with. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I, I'm glad you brought that up because before this movie, he had done sitcom TV shows and, and, and joke movies like that. Yeah. He even says on the commentary, he's like, you know, right before Blade Trinity, I had done a sitcom show. I'm pretty sure it's... Uh, a girl, two guys in a pizza shop, like with him and Nathan Fillion, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's what he had done. And like Van Wilder or something. Yeah. And the fact that he got picked for this is just crazy. And uh, I, I guess I should uh, bring up, I, I'm going to butcher his name. Paul Levesque, uh, Triple H from wrestling. <laughs> okay, He plays Jarko. And uh, I mean, I, it's the only thing I've ever seen him act in that I can recall. I'm sure I'm wrong. And you can point out three other things. But he's a pretty prominent character. Calum Rennie is also in the movie. He's a new character. And he plays Parker Posey's brother in the movie, Asher. And he's one of those people that's like been in more things than you would think. And they just got like a bit part. But yes, yeah, so we have our primary cast and uh, a few additions, and they're gonna they're gonna pop up as we go. So we open up with an opening monologue, which is obviously Ryan Reynolds, and he says, "In the movies, Dracula wears a cape, and some old English guy manages to save the day with crosses and holy water. But everybody knows that the movies are full of shit. It started with Blade, and it ended with him, and the rest of us were just along for the ride." I like it. I like it. It's a good opening little statement there. <laughs> and we immediately cut to some helicopters landing in Syria at some old ruins. And we see four soldiers with guns get out with full body cover, including giant helmets. We would assume they're vampires because of the, the body coverage. It's like when Frost was burning Dragonetti, right? Yeah. And then one of them flips the bird to the sun. So I'm definitely going to go with vampires right here. <laughs> and uh, that was the big motherfucker. That flipped the bird to the sun. I'm going to assume that's Triple H, if we had to guess. And um, the group goes into the ruins, and they find a chamber with some equipment they brought. And in the chamber, they can see like a hollow spot where there's a body. So they break the floor down into the chamber, and they're now in the dark, and they take their mask off. And we can see Danica, played by Parker Posey, Jarko, played by Triple H, and Asher, played by Callum Rennie, and a red shirt. Then I didn't even look him up because this guy's clearly going to be a red shirt. <laughs> they go to the area where the body's supposed to be and they start picking at it and a crater forms and it, it, it kind of like sinks in 
and the red shirt is yanked into the hole by some arms and his head's bit off and he fucking dust and turns into ash. And uh, we get this creepy strobing light effect as this scary as hell looking armored demon crawls out of the ground <laughs> and the rest of the group screams and it just cuts away from that. As far as opening scenes go, you're like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, it's, I mean, he looks like a demon from hell crawling out, quite yeah. frankly. And apparently he can just bite a vampire's fucking head off in the ash. He's like one of them wasps. Exactly. <laughs> They're hornets. Yeah, the yeah, Japanese yeah. killer hornets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then we cut to like a Larry King live type talk show. And we're introduced to Dr. Vance, who is both a psychologist and a biochemist, we find out. And he thinks that they're both important <laughs> because of the mind and the body. And <laughs> he is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And they got John Michael Higgins to do the role. And honestly, I couldn't see anybody else doing that. But he starts talking about, like, you know, different mental disorders and this and that. And the talk show host just wants to know about vampires. And... Obviously, this guy must be known as the vampire guy, right? So he goes on and on talking about the existence of the vampires and their different tendencies they can have, such as sexual sadism. Sexual. And he covers the perception of vampires as well as their powers and how they're like scapegoats for things. And then the police chief, Chief Barry, interrupts and he says that Blade is a troubled vigilante. Right. And they need to put a stop to him. And um, Blade thinks that vampires are ruling from the shadow world. And then he says something about the only vampires he's worried about are the ones passing the bar exam. Right? <laughs> and obviously they think that uh, he, Blade's a joke. Right. Like they just think he's a serial killer that thinks he's hunting vampires. Right. Yeah. We cut to like some shithole warehouse district and we see explosions and bodies burning, flying out the windows, turning to ash. We can assume Blade's present <laughs> because he is. He's whooping their ass. Blade on a Saturday night. Oh, yeah. And we get uh, opening credits and a title card pop as he's dusting fucking vamps left and right. The coolest thing we see here, though, is his new weapon, which is these uh, silver daggers that he has that basically turn into chain whips and he can whip them around. Yeah. Totally badass. But we see that Whistler is tailing some vamps on the highway, and we have this like action chase sequence where, uh, where Blade's trying to get to the rig that Whistler's driving so that he can get his charger out of the back of the car, and Michael Bay would be very proud of this entire <laughs> sequence, okay? Because he, he hops from some cars, he gets on the rig, he dives in the back, he pops the charger out of the fucking back, and he starts to chase these vamps down on motorcycles, and one of them's in a car. We see him fire off the NOS in the car. So obviously he kept the shit Scud put in, even though Whistler said it'd, it'd fucking kill the engine for the next oil change. Yeah. That's apparently acceptable now, okay? <laughs> and uh, it's a good chasing. Basically, it ends with Blade using his UV headlights on the car in front of him to dust the driver, causing the car to flip and crash. And the passenger's pulled out by civilians, basically. And he tries to limp away, which is a little odd that he can limp. And he's shot in the back with a steak cannon out of basically like a slug shooting shotgun or something. Yeah. And the guy falls over bleeding and uh, he doesn't ash. And Blade walks up to him and asks him why he didn't ash and basically tells him because he's a dumbass <laughs> and he's not a vampire <laughs> and he's been set up. And we can see Danica, played by Parker Posey, hiding up on a building with a camera, smiling, um, basically filming Blade murder a human in the middle of the streets, right? Yep. It was all a setup. Damn. I got to use my pun one more time. 
but Blade vamps. Okay, he just leaves the scene. We cut to the new Vampire HQ, and we see Danica editing her video footage on her Mac, of course, because it's all vamps use, and uploading the the footage to the press. Okay, then we cut to this boathouse, which is basically the new Blade Cave. The movie kind of it has these spots where it jumps quick, 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 quick scenes, and then it sets for a while, right? So, yeah. But Blade's heading home to Whistler, right? He's heading home to his wife, basically. <laughs> and uh, Whistler wants to know what the fuck happened. And, you know, Blade lets him know he got set up. And Blade's just really nonchalant. He doesn't give a shit. Yeah. And Whistler lets him know that killing vampires is clean because they ash. They don't leave any evidence. Killing humans is messy because there's bodies. <laughs> right? <laughs> and uh, Blade basically just ignores him. And he's like, I, I like these new knives. They worked out great. <laughs> And Whistler uh, gives him an inhaler for his serum, and he said that he had some friends make it for him, and Blade wants to know what friends he has. And Whistler basically reminds him what a friend is and says, I think you forgot about this. Then we quickly cut to an FBI base, because <laughs> the movie just jumps like this. Yes. Different director, who was not experienced. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the editors? Like, how the fuck am I going to put all this together? <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, we see the FBI watching news footage and interviews of Blade killing this person in the streets, and they set up a manhunt. And then the main FBI agent's partner busts in the room and says they have the lead, and they roll out. I do want to say the main FBI agent is James Remar, and it's kind of a bit part in the movie, honestly. And he's a pretty big actor. I mean, he's like Dexter's dad on Dexter. Yep. He's a big character on Sex and the City, and he's been in a hundred other things that we're not <laughs> going to list. But those, like, just the, without me looking at anything, those first two things popped them on, right? Yeah, to me, he's Dexter's dad. He's <laughs> friends with Goyer, and they work uh, out the same gym. What? And he was like, hey, you're making Blade 3. You get to direct this one? I'd like to be in the movie you're directing. And he's like, I don't, I don't have any big parts. And if I don't give a shit, just give me anything. So no stuck him as the FBI guy. So that's kind of neat, right? But now that we're done at FBI HQ, we got to cut right back over to Vamp HQ. We see Danica and her entourage walk through the vampire base, or it's like a, a high rise building, right? And whatever the fuck city we're supposed to believe that all this takes place. And it's all windows. Why know, is it all windows? <laughs> and we don't know where the coffins are housed, man. But. She walks through the building, but it's more of a glide instead of a walk. It's like slow-mo, <laughs> and she just kind of perfectly does it all the way through. And to me, that's like the traditional vampire walking through a room, the yes. way they shot it. And that, that's what I was talking about earlier when you were talking about the comic book framing. I feel like he did like that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. But she goes to her brother, and uh, we see that he's monitoring whatever demon fuck they found in the tomb. Because I was you know, surprised as much as the next guy when I saw this in theaters find out that they were all still alive. <laughs> <laughs> they were food for something. And uh, we can basically see like a heat vision. And we can just see that he's just chowing down on a woman next to a pile of bodies. And Danica's brother, Asher, tells her that he's on the fifth one for the day. <laughs> and he asks if they should add some extra security. And she's like, no, 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 no. He allowed us to bring him here. He's not our prisoner. And she just nonchalantly says, I'm going to go down and talk to him. And everybody, including big ass Triple H, is like, mm mm. And they look <laughs> fucking scared. And she just fucking prances over there like she owns the place until the camera cuts around. And she's like, oh, fuck, I'm going to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she does her little scanner with her glyph and, and she rides the elevator down the pit. And he's down there just straight up gorging on a body. And there are way more than five bodies down there. And she realizes that and she looks a little startled. We see the thing stop feasting. And it's still like a giant demon with horns. And its jaw dislodges and it has the fucking. 
Probos is, he's got a sucker thing that comes out of his mouth, just like in the last movie. And it closes and he starts to walk and the horns kind of morph in and the, the fucking, I mean, it's a really jagged demon body, but it morphs into a human, right? Yeah. And when he comes out, you find out that it's not a body in armor. It's just a dude. An Australian, apparently, <laughs> fucking clothes and, and some light armor. And uh, most of that was just some shape-shifting powers. Yeah. And basically, we find out that he's pissed off that they woke him. And she's like, wait, your people need you? And he doesn't give a fuck about his people, he says, because their shadows are their former selves. And they're not true warriors because he's about honor. And she tells him about their new hunter, Blade, and how basically they need him to kill. The new hunter, right? Back at the boathouse, though, we see Whistler's buying some snacks across the street from uh, the DP for the movies. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, they, they fit him in the movie. And Blade's the headline on the front page. Okay. And we see that the feds are staking out Whistler and the boathouse. And uh, Blade goes in and he gives a speech, you know, like a dad speech about how you should be careful and you don't fucking listen to me. And Blade basically says, you're not my dad. No, <laughs> he tells Blade he's being too paranoid, right? And Whistler yeah. says that he's afraid that he's going to be gone one day and that Blade's going to be all alone and he's not going to know what to do if he's by himself. Foreshadowing. We then quickly cut to a subway scene. Cause this, I, I, I'm reading my notes and I'm like, was I a terrible human being when I wrote this? And I was like, oh, no, 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 the movie's just shot this way. No, this, <laughs> this is one of the ones where it's like we then cut to a different movie. <laughs> but we basically see three teenagers on skateboards and BMX bikes doing stunts and being assholes about people, fat people's blood tasting like cheese whiz and they want to go eat somebody, right? They actually casted pro skateboarders and BMX people for, for the scene. They just like grabbed them. No acting experience whatsoever. So it I think you do some tricks and talk shit. It, it does until I get to the next part. Okay. Um, but basically they spot what they call a combo meal, which is a bag <laughs> lady with a baby on board. And they go to grab her in an empty subway tunnel, which I, we don't know what city this is, but they've kind of portrayed it like Detroit. But apparently you can have an empty subway tunnel. <laughs> and they attempt to bite off more than they can chew because this is Abigail motherfucking Whistler played by Jessica Beale, And she straight up whoops all their asses. The baby doll is just a doll. It's not a baby. It's a doll. It says, yeah. fuck you on it. And garlic bomb farts on one of them. <laughs> yes. And, um... She has silver blade tips in her shoes, and she's got this fucking weapon that arcs UV light, and she can cut vampires in half. She fucks them up. Okay. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts. And um, a couple things to point out. One, one of the boys has a Lost Boy t-shirt on. Yes. Which is very fitting. And they did all their own fight scenes there. There was no stunt doubles. Okay. So the fact they weren't actors and they got flipped around the shit beat out of them by Jessica Biel, because I do want to point out that almost 100% of every scene is Jessica Biel or Ryan Reynolds. When they fight or do any stunts, they weren't allowed to be around flying glass, basically, was the role, and they could do anything else. Mm, no so shit. other than some flying glass shots, it's not Jessica Biel because there's glass exploding near, and then Ryan Reynolds gets his ass beat by Triple H all the way until the suplex later, and they cut <laughs> at the last second to another guy getting body slammed. That's it. Other than that, they did their own flips, their own wire work, their own fights, which is pretty cool, but apparently these three kids they grabbed also did their own stunts, and Jessica Biel accidentally knocked the fuck out of one of them when she was supposed to be fighting him, and when they were looking at the dailies the next day, Goyer basically played it. He had set it on a loop, and it was just Jessica Biel punching a fucking teenager in the face <laughs> over and over again on a loop, and he just played it. 
because he did that kind of shit throughout this movie. Like he threw, I don't remember what it was, like styrofoam rocks from an explosion scene or something. And he would just hide in catwalks and like chuck them at Ryan Reynolds while he was filming scenes and shit. And that's going to play into a little bit when I talk about the way Wesley Snipes felt about this film. Like I said, yeah. I don't know when I'm going to fit it in because it's going to be a long derail. I'm going to try to save it for the end, but no promises. Okay. But uh, back at the boathouse, we see the feds raid the building. Kill Whistler, who, I mean, he basically runs around and types the super Konami code on all the computers as they're shooting them. <laughs> like, it's, it's so many computers. He can't even see them. And his hand just goes up there and it fucking dead fish flops. And then he, and he puts in the super code and he sets them all to, to explode, right? Yeah. If I remember correctly, I know Blade's circled by FBI agents. And he doesn't want to kill him if he doesn't have to. I mean, Whistler was fucking just railing into him with shotguns. He didn't give a shit. But Blade's trying not to kill him. They circle him. I don't think it's with cattle prods, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but basically, he sees the boathouse explode with Whistler in it, and he just mourns in pain because he can't go save him this time. Yeah. And and they, they capture him, right? I do want to point out that this boathouse is a historical site, or at least was at the time. And they were under contract. They couldn't damage any part of the fucking building. So when they had all the computers explode and they had to build safe cages around them to not burn the boathouse. And then they had to build an entire fake front wall to blow up for the explosion at the end. Huh? I don't know why you would choose an historical site for an explosion. scene. <laughs> we're back to that ice skating uphill thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Goyer. <laughs> So now we're at an interrogation room and we see that Blade is chained up and the FBI agents are like, we've been hunting you a long time, you know, and they're making fun of him hunting vampires and him talk about, cause he says, yeah, I've killed 1000 blah, 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 familiars and, and this shit. And then Dr. Vance from the talk show comes in the room, says he's there to evaluate him. The evaluation starts off normal. Like what day is it? What year is it? Who's the current president? What asshole. But then it turns into a vampire discussion, and in the unrated version, I should have said this at the beginning, I only have the unrated version of the film. <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like there's only one major detour plot-wise, and the rest of it's just like the ratings board took the scene out. Yeah. I, I feel like it's safe to say that until I hit a scene. But in the unrated version... Dr. Vance talks about, I had wax wings as a kid. And then he like holds his jacket up like he's Dracula in front of his face. And he's like, do they come at you from behind the cape? All improvised by Higgins. Like he was just fucking with fucking Wesley Snipes the whole time. Oh, dear God. The important thing here is no matter which version of the movie that you watch, Vance starts talking about sexual arousal with vampires. Yep. <laughs> Going back to the scene from the beginning, because he has some weird thing about sex shit with vampires. I don't know why. Blade ignores him pretty much the whole time until Vance brings up his mother. And uh, Blade just kind of growls and snaps at Vance. And... He runs out and says he's clearly insane. <laughs> the FBI agent's <laughs> like, duh. And uh, Vance and the police chief that we saw on the talk show with him earlier say that they're claiming jurisdiction on this case because it didn't cross state lines. And they're going to put his ass in a psych facility because he's crazy. And the FBI is fucking pissed and they're gone for the rest of the movie, right? Kind of. They show up at the end, but they're gone for the primary plot here. Yeah. Um, we find out that Dr. Vance and the police chief are both familiars of Danica's and they trank blade and prep them for their boss to come take them. Right. Danica and her entourage arrive and they explain how they move the humans around like pawns. And she does really quirky Parker Posey stuff 
Like, talking about, like, what's your tattoos? What do they mean? And she's like, oh, I'm just stupid. All Parker Posey. Like, they just let Parker Posey go ham. Like, whatever <laughs> you want to say, we're going to keep it. And you can feel it, and it feels out of place for the Blade trilogy, just like a lot of Ryan Reynolds' lines do. But in this movie, they somehow put it all together, right? Yes. <laughs> like, in a vacuum, I hate to say it, in this movie, there's lots of jokes and one-liners that are fucking hilarious, and it makes this a fun movie. Yep. But it is the weak spot of the trilogy. Yeah. It's the comedy. Right, right. But it's also an easily rewatchable film. <laughs> like, it's it's weird. It, yeah. Like, it, it's this anomaly. It's like where they fucked the trilogy up, but still somehow made an entertaining movie out of it. But she's basically talking shit until we see some dusted vampires fly through the two-way mirror in the interrogation room. And we see Deadpool dive through the window with a hello, my name is <laughs> fuck you sticker on his body armor. And he starts firing at Danica, who yells, Hannibal King! And she bullet time dodges all the bullets. And I, I say Deadpool, it's Ryan Reynolds playing Hannibal King. I love Hannibal King in the comics, and at some point I'm going to get into the differences. I don't know where, <laughs> once okay. again. But Ryan Reynolds admits that Deadpool and his Hannibal King are the same character, and he doesn't play them differently. I could totally see that. The wife and I both brought it up when we were watching this. Like, holy shit, he's just Deadpool in this movie. <laughs> so if you've seen Deadpool but never seen Blade Trinity, just imagine the same thing. Okay. <laughs> Without the super healing. <laughs> Somehow during all this, he does a flashy move and he spins and he slaps on those serum inhalers in the blade's mouth. And he says that he's there for the rescue. <sighs> we're going to get into the snipes drama sooner than I wanted to because of the scene, I think. Okay. But basically, the vamps dive out through the opening made by Blade as he roundhouse kicked Triple H through a wall, right? <laughs> and made a hole. Yeah. And Hannibal randomly just dives through the uh, two-way mirror hole that he made and just runs off. And it doesn't make any sense. And Wesley Snipes was not happy with this film. <laughs> he was not happy with David Goyer <laughs> directing it. He did not want David Goyer directing it. And he wasn't even happy with writing choices, even though David Goyer wrote the last two films. Yeah. And this is one of those scenes. Like he wanted Blade to bust his own ass out of prison and he wanted Blade to leave by himself. And like, where's Hannibal King supposed to go? He's there to save. He's like, he can jump his ass through the fucking window. I'm going to shit. <laughs> <laughs> so Hannibal King jumps his ass through the fucking window so that Blade can fight his way out by himself. <sighs> we do, get, however, get a cool three-way hall fight scene where Blade's in one hall, Hannibal's in another hall, and Abigail is popping up in another one shooting her bow and arrow, right? And we hear Hannibal call out Whistler to Abigail, and Blade catches this, and it kind of does like a, a slow-mo kind of thing. Because I've been calling her Abigail Whistler, but Blade doesn't know who the fuck any of these people are at this yeah. point. And Whistler's daughters are supposed to be dead, so who the fuck is she, right? And um, they basically get pinned down in between the FBI and the vamp goons. And while they're all shooting each other, Blade knocks a hole through the ceiling and jumps through it and leaves them to die. Because, because Snipes told Goyer the Blade was leaving the building by himself. He didn't care. So basically, Whistler and, and Hannibal King have to fight their way out. And they're shooting. And, and King says he can't ricochet bullets around hallways. And Abby says she can. And she fucking pulls an arrow and ricochets an arrow. And... 
it's very video game and cartoony, but it's cool at the same time because yeah. there it, it's like the green arrow or the even the arrow TV show in CW. Like the arrow tips are very like she has one that you can tell is supposed to ricochet. She has one that's a drill bit that drills through a door until it gets to the vampires. Like she has these specialized arrow tips and it's kind of cool. Yeah. They fight their way out and they run out into the street where they're surrounded by police and like, what the fuck? And then blade suicide drops and does the superhero landing on the ground behind him with a sword. And he goes, I forgot my sword. And that's how he told Goyer it would make sense for him to leave is he has to go get his sword. Right. Cause this is what blade would do. <sighs> I guess this is the point where I should just tell the story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Snipes is apparently so pissed that he would only do his close up scenes. And have his body double or stunt double do all the scenes that didn't involve his face. Okay. And if there are scenes that he didn't think Blade would do, he just refused to record them. <laughs> and they had to make do. And I'll try to get to that if I can remember to do it. And according to Pat Oswalt, which you can see his interview on, on YouTube, right? Just Google Pat Oswalt Blade. He says it was the most uncomfortable thing he'd ever done in his life. According to him, Wesley Snipes would just hang out in his trailer and smoke weed all day and come out and do close-up scenes. And then he would come out with post-it notes and stick them on like Goyer or the other actors and push them to Goyer. And it would have his instructions and they'd be signed from Blade. <laughs> and Ryan Reynolds said he never once met Wesley Snipes on set. He only met Blade. <laughs> oh. Apparently hated everything about the movie and he just was non-cooperative and that's the story. But Wesley Snipes also sued the fuck out of Goyer and New Line Cinema because of really? this movie. Because violating contract things and he, he uh. thinks it's Goyer's fault that the movie tanked and this and that and that he could have helped the franchise. And I just want to say Goyer hasn't directed anything big since then <laughs> and New Line Cinema is not around anymore and Wesley Snipes got in trouble for tax problems so he might have won that lawsuit oh eh? part of his lawsuit actually was after the tax issues because his lawsuit says new line cinema said they were paying him in a way that affected his taxes this uh, way yeah but his taxes were actually counted another way and he blames that for his tax problems if i understood it correctly i didn't go into the tax drama that much no i remember hearing about the tax drama separately you know the tmz type shit yeah but basically, the three of them are pinned down by the FBI or the cops or whoever the fuck. And we see Dex, another new member that, for some reason, barely sees the light of day. There's a couple of members of this team that's not in the movie very much. <laughs> but he busts in with the SUV, and he saves their life. And he's their getaway driver, and they drive away. Jarko tries to chase down the car, running full speed like a raging bull, until Abby pops him in the eyeball with an arrow. And it's pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the running. The running does not look badass. <laughs> he's a big guy so he just looks funny when he when he runs <laughs> but we cut back to this team's base and we see that Hannibal King and Whistler are part of a team with Dex the getaway driver Summerfeld their blind scientist who makes his inhalers her daughter Zoe who's the lookout and Hedges the weapons tech okay and they say that they are the Night Stalkers. And then Blade makes a Saturday morning cartoon joke to him about their name. Yeah. And somewhere in here, Abby explains that she was the third daughter of Whistler that he had out of wedlock after his wife and daughters got killed. Okay. So they just fucking shoehorn that in there. Yep. She was apparently going to be a Van Helsing descendant originally. 
It was going to be Abigail Van Helsing. That probably would have been worse. Well, you say that, but the Night Stalker comics and the Blade comics are very heavily tied to the Dracula comics. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Van Helsings had been hunting Dracula. Blade met a guy named Frank Drake, and Blade met a paranormal investigator named Hannibal King, who eventually gets turned by Deacon Frost into a vampire in the comic books. And the three of them make like a paranormal private investigation agency where where they hunt down the supernatural, and that eventually turns into the Night Stalkers. And the Night Stalkers is led by billionaire playboy Frank Drake, like most comic book characters, who's human but descendant of Dracula, and Blade... And Hannibal King, who is a full-fledged fucking vampire and super powerful in the comic books. And I just want to say this right here. I I thought I owned the entire run of Night Stalkers. I looked the other day. I'm missing the last two issues. So I'm tracking them down with the local comic book shops right now. So I don't have to (laughs) order it online. But I will post a picture of my entire Night Stalkers comic collection because I loved these. They came out in 92, okay? And I hated this movie initially because it butchered one of my favorite comic series. (laughs) But I just want to kind of throw it out there that Hannibal King is literally the only Night Stalker. Gotcha. (laughs) Outside of Blade that's that's in here, okay? But long story short, we find out that they operate in sleeper cells and only one cell is active at a time and the others do not activate until another one goes dark, right? And Blade gives them a speech about them being too young, too inexperienced, and how the fuck are they going to be his backup, right? And he basically just goes off on them. The scene was added to reflect Wesley Snipes' actual thoughts on Ryan Reynolds and Jessica Biel and Patton Oswalt and all them being added to the film. So that's why he seems like such an asshole in that scene. <laughs> he does. He, he thought they were too young of characters, not seasoned enough actors and too much comedy to be in his fucking movie. And apparently Wesley Snipes and Chris Christopherson were close from doing the first two movies. And he felt the same way as well. And he didn't want to be a part of the movie either, which might make some sense, right? Like why he died so early in the movie. Huh. But the tension was real when they shot that scene. And I think it helped the scene because you could tell he didn't fucking like him. Yeah. But in this scene, we found out that Hannibal King used to be a vampire and he was Danica's sex toy, basically. And he took the cure and became human. One of my favorite horror comic characters. And they neutered him. I just want to say that. (laughs) Speaking of Hannibal King, we cut to Vamp HQ where we see Danica yelling and breaking her desk, yelling Hannibal King once again. So obviously it's like he was an important character. I don't know what the fuck happened here other than Goyer. Okay. But she says she should have killed him when she had the chance. And we see Jarko sitting at the table, yanks that fucking air out of his eyeball, and then he picks up a Palmarina and starts playing with it, which apparently farted constantly <laughs> while they're trying to film these scenes. Oh. Somebody at the table, I think it's Virago. There, there's, a, there's another woman that's kind of part of the entourage. She gets less screen, screen time. Yeah. But she wants to know if anybody's told him about their failure. And then we see Drake walk into the room because it's supposed to be Dracula. I don't even know if I've said that yet. But, like, somehow you're supposed to know this is Count fucking Dracula at this point, going by the name Drake, which is what his descendants took in the comic books, like Frank Drake, right? Yeah. And But but he walks in the room and says, yes, I'm aware of your failures. Okay. <laughs> and even though he's not a famous actor at this point in time, I, was, I would argue that he's still not a famous actor, even though I like him as a genre actor. He still has, like, an intimidating presence when he walks oh, into yeah. a room. Like, the other stuff you mentioned that he's been in, I haven't even seen, but he seemed out of place in the movie, like... Like this, I don't mean this in a derogatory way, but like he has such a commanding presence that the rest of the movie felt beneath him as an actor. 
Does that make sense? And and it's funny because that you say that because I think he's a good actor and he's in a lot of projects that I like, but none of them are huge things. They're all like cult following things and genre type things. And I don't know. He's somebody I wish I could see more from him because like the Prison Break show really got in trouble from like getting canceled and saved and canceled and saved and canceled. We'll make a movie out of it. You know what I mean? And and like, I just don't know what all happened from there. And to my understanding, he's a big family man. Like they were saying on the commentary, as young as he was, he already had five kids when they were shooting this movie. Catholic. And they're saying you could really tell when he does the scenes with Zoe later in the movie that he's good with kids. Yeah. Okay. But then we uh, do another Goyer cut back to the uh, Night Stalker base. <laughs> And we see Hannibal King going over the the GoPro footage, apparently from his gun (laughs) (laughs) of the vamps where where he lets Blade know what's going on. We find out that he dated Danica Talos and she turned him. And unlike typical vampires, her fangs are located in her vagina. (laughs) Moving on. He says that Asher is Danica's brother. And that the diaper stain in the corner is Jarko Grimwood. That is a comic book name or Dungeons and Dragons name if I ever heard one. And he's their muscle, basically. Yeah. And I don't know why muscle matters when you're undead vampires with super strength. But anyways, basically, he says that he was turned. He was in a sex slave pit. He basically hints at that. But Abby found him, took him back to the Night Stalker base. Summerfield cured him. And now he hunts vampires. Somewhere in here, Hannibal King shows off his Tuma Dracula comic book issue. That that's where Dracula and Blade first appeared. Ryan Reynolds actually brought that like to his audition. Oh wow! And he's like, look, I'm a fan. Because <laughs> I mean, he's a huge comic book fan. That's that's why he's the perfect fucking Deadpool. You know what I mean? So like, like he was he was up to date on the shit. He let the Hannibal King thing slide. Apparently, um, <laughs> money. But yeah. in the theatrical version, he basically just says. It's Dracula, and he's back. And Blade's like, huh? And they just walk off. That's, that's <laughs> how it goes. And we're not supposed to watch the unrated version, usually on a movie. We try to watch theatrical. If we're doing a director, we'll do director's cuts if we can. Josh had the theatrical, and I had the unrated version. It just worked out that way. <laughs> Coronavirus. We, we couldn't even record on time, so we couldn't swap <laughs> movies. So I'm going to point out things where I can. But in the unrated version... Hannibal King takes Blade into a room and he shows him years of research that he's done. And he's got all these ancient artifacts and ancient weapons. And he's got fucking ancient scrolls about Dracula. And he's been studying Dracula for his whole life, basically, okay. right? And he's got ancient texts, glyphs. He even has part of his armor. And they, they Summerfield scanned the armor and they did their homework and they can see like what, what he looks like. They think he can shapeshift. And Dracula is definitely real. And Blade's like, holy shit, you guys did your homework and he's on board. Why would you cut that scene? Yeah, the scan in the armor part is the only thing that they they show from that. That whole scene would make more sense because it's like, oh, we found a piece of his armor. This is what he looks like. This is his history. Like, really? From this little piece of armor? Honestly, it doesn't make sense either that they, you know, with the piece of armor, they can tell that he can shapeshift either in the movie. It really doesn't make sense either. Have you seen what they've done with dinosaur bones? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jurassic Park. But... uh, (laughs) But you can see at least that Hannibal King's smart and done his work, which in the comics, he was a paranormal investigator that ended up searching in the tomb of Dracula where Deacon was trying to resurrect Dracula and turn him. So like he was like a PI that like did his shit in the comics. And I guess that was the throwback, which was yeah. even that was cut out of the movie. Okay. <laughs> but they do this cool intercut thing with Ryan Reynolds talking and Dracula demon form doing 
fucked up shit. And Ryan Reynolds was reading the script and he's like, you're going to have me talk for like five minutes straight. This is going to be boring as fuck. <laughs> and then I like, don't worry. We're going to intercut it with cool shit. And he just had to take Gory's word for it. But, but Hannibal King says that Dracula's thousands of years old. He's worshiped as a God. He's the first of his kind. And he's the patriarch of all vampires. They don't know how he came to be. And they said, he goes by Drake now. And he vanished off the face of the planet. And the vamps, Danica and her crew basically found him in a slumber and woke him up. Right. And the comics, they really can't kill Dracula. Like you kill him, he comes back somehow always, but he's not the original vampire. He actually got turned into a vampire and then fucking killed the vampire King. And then the oldest vampire thought he was honorable and sacrificed himself into Dracula to give him his soul, to make him the most powerful. It's kind of neat. I like how okay. they did it in the Marvel comics. And then he has his own children that he like naturally had that are like, the, those are the purebloods, right? Uh, but this movie is very sparse on that. So much to the point that we cut to the streets where we see Drake walking nearly shirtless as it looks like a 90s music video with the, <laughs> the city <laughs> fade behind him. And we can see that he is immune to sunlight. It does not fucking hurt him. And he finds a goth shop full of uh, Dracula merchandise, including Dracula and Dracula dildos. Okay. <laughs> it's a fucking hot topic, man. It, it is to the extreme. The goth cashier is a total dick and gets chunked out of the window and Dracula drains the goth chick. And there's lots of count Chocula placement. And that's my favorite cereal. So I at least like that part. <laughs> now the chick was fantastic. And honestly, the guy at the cash register was like a good, like jerk dick for the scene. Um, He's also in final destination too. I knew I recognized him from like a bit part in a movie or something yep. or like just like a B-rated movie. And, and that makes sense. They filmed that in a real goth slash sex shop. And apparently the cast members were like just like putting on like fucking dildos and like fucking any fake tits <laughs> and anything they could. Like the cameraman while they were filming, they're having a good time with it. And that scene's heavily cut in the theatrical version versus the unrated version uh, of what they show. Okay. And um, I do want to point out, speaking of sex shop, Jessica Biel still owns her gun holsters that she uses in the movie. It was a strap on for a dildo that the costume person found. Nice. They just didn't put the dildo on the front and she puts her <laughs> pistols on it. And she thought it was hilarious. So she kept it. <laughs> so she's pegging Justin Timberlake right now. That's my takeaway. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You're putting words into my mouth. sir. Oh my God. But uh, basically Goyer felt like they, they didn't have enough vampire feeding in the other movies. And he wanted to make sure that Dracula, at least like old school, found a chick and drained her blood through her neck. But Goyer said this? Yeah. Did he not watch Blade 2? <laughs> so the Reapers were murdering other vampires and whatnot. He wanted like a vampire, school, like sexualized okay. fucking yeah, yeah, beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. Because, I mean, really, the closest you got to that was Blade feeding on Karen in the first one. Yeah. And then Frost in a rampage feeding on Officer Krieger. Right. So we're trying like to go close you got old school, mythical type shit. Yeah. I just want to throw it. It's fucking Dracula. He's got to go feast on a, on a beautiful woman somewhere. Right. She just happens to be a goth chicken, you know, fucking hot topic with a uh, Dracula. <laughs> a lot of lunch boxes. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's lunch boxes. We cut back to the night stalkers base and we see that Summerfield has been working on a virus called Daystar, and it can wipe out all vampires. Okay. The only problem is they're missing one ingredient. Dracula's blood. <laughs> you need the blood of the first vampire and they can make an airborne pathogen to take out all vampires. Okay. Sorry, just real quick. Cause this really bothers me. And I'm being serious when I ask this, 
Does the the blind scientist have any reference to the comics? Because I have a very hard time with this. Not no. to speak ill of the blind, but I mean, like, why does she have all these monitors on her computer? I mean, what, it, <laughs> what the fuck is she looking at? <laughs> they at least show her using Braille books throughout the movie, but I don't understand the monitors. Okay. I mean, it's, it's a weak character is what I'm getting at. I wanted to read the entire run of Night Stalkers before we recorded this, and I understand we're a week late, but as with the kids, it's hard to find a time to break out an entire comic volume and read them issue by issue. Yeah. The only human I remember being on the Night Stalkers team is Frank Drake, descendant of Dracula and the mad scientist slash funder of everything. Everybody else is like a vampire or something supernatural. Okay. I could be wrong. To me, it's like Summerfield Renfield from Dracula. Like, it was just kind of like a play on the name. I don't know why she's blind. They didn't even say it on the commentary. There's only one specific thing said about her on the commentary, and I'll say it when we get there. She was in Zigzag, though. Goyer's first film he directed before this. Uh, So he put her in there. Why she's blind, I don't know. But the important thing is she has a virus called Daystar that she's working on that if she gets Dracula's blood, she can wipe out all vampires. Hedges is basically Q from James Bond, takes him into the arsenal room, shows him all the cool weapons he's been making. And one of them's this giant, I, I can't think of the name, and maybe you'll remember because you're a gun guy. If not, I'll, I'll do this on the reminder for the next episode. <laughs> but he pulls up this giant, Ron Reynolds does this giant, like, almost shotgun cannon-looking thing with three stakes. And it's actually an archaic, old-school, handheld cannon weapon. Okay. Uh, like a and- blunderbuss? kind of and it, it was supposed to have multiple barrels that you could crank and he explains that it can shoot slugs steaks shells whatever they need it right that was supposed to be king's weapon through the whole movie <laughs> and it got like edited cut out whatever the fuck except for the spinoff setup scene that you've probably never seen okay we'll get to that at the very end but <laughs> i keep saying that more than any episode and by the end of the 7 hours guys i hope everything makes sense okay <laughs> i cannot believe we spent this long on the blade trilogy but the last takeaway here is hedges thinks that dracula can shapeshift he doesn't think he can turn into mist and bats and blah 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 but he can turn into another person yeah. Somehow they gathered that from the armor. That's probably actually the scene you're talking about, not the scene I'm talking about where they're in the <laughs> fucking Indiana Jones archive room. <laughs> you're probably thinking of Hedges saying that, but it, it's kind of irritating because in the comic books, they definitely can. Like Hannibal King, I remember like Punisher's trying to fucking light him up and he's like, shoots a firebomb. He's like, all right, I'll turn into mist and fly to the fire. And he <laughs> shoots a net and he turns into wolves and he can control animals and shit. I don't know. It's crazy. But uh, this is a movie and I guess they're honestly... The current MCU movies, which this was not a part of, they try to ground it a little bit more in reality. And and that's what they did, right? Like, you can't command all the rats in the sewers, you know? Yeah. But basically, the trio roll out, and we get a cool cop show montage of them all beating the fuck out of familiars across the city. And long story short, Dr. Vance is connected to all this and kind of runs all the familiars for Danica, right? Yep. And it really is shot like a 70s cop show. Like, oh, yeah. and, and that was that was reshoots they added after the fact that I think it was a nice touch, quite frankly. And that's one of those scenes that's framed like a comic book, like yeah. you said. But they end up heading to Dr. Vance's office. They kick their ass all the way through the lobby until they end up into his actual office to find him dead behind the desk. And he's standing there with his shirt wide open, his chest showing, because it's Dracula. And he shapeshifts back into Drake. And they fire at him, and he dodges all the rounds, grabs King, and fucking stakes King on the right side of his chest, luckily not his heart, so he probably just pierced the lung here, and dives out a window into the sun. Blade dives out after him, and Goyer hates the scene, 
because they each land on a car one after another and the car was supposed to fucking implode and the glass fly out. It just kind of went dunk (laughs) (laughs) and they couldn't reshoot it for some reason. But the cool thing is Goyer wanted to have like a daylight chase scene with Blade and a vampire because they couldn't do that in the other movies. Uh, so he wanted to make sure that if Drake was immune to sunlight, they use that. Gotcha. And Blade chased him through the streets and they end up on a rooftop and Drake has a baby that he stole along the way. Because I mean, it's, it's a long chase scene, but he takes a baby from a woman they're, when they're running through apartments and diving through walls. And this is very much like the time Frost and Blade met, right? Like it feels oh, yeah. very much the same way. So much to the point that this is the first scene they shot together. Uh, Why? I don't know. It's just like in the original. But at this point, you know, Blade points out that Drake's immune to sunlight and he doesn't have that weakness. And he's like, I'm the original. I'm unique. I have my own shit, you know. (laughs) And we find out that the vampires brought him back to figure out why he's immune to sunlight so they can genetically alter themselves to also be daywalkers. The whole goal here is always to be a daywalker through all three movies. Always. And... Just like the kid in the first one, Drake chunks the baby and vanishes, and Blade goes and catches the baby. His precious humans. Not that he should, like, love the vampires, but how much he loves humans. Well, like when Nisa's giving him shit about it, that, you know, she knows what she is, and she came to peace with it, and he keeps fighting it. Until the end. (laughs) But real quickly, we cut back, and we see that King's in a lot of pain, and he thinks they're all fucked, and they can't stop anything like this. I mean, he moved fast and dodged bullets. We've seen that before. And he, no. I guess the sunlight, I don't know. And the, he's so scared that makes me think that there's some shit cut there. <laughs> but basically, Abby uses this fucking spray that she injects in his wound that looks like it would hurt worse than the wound itself and stops him from hemorrhaging. Yeah. And somewhere in there, there's a lesbian vampire joke. But uh, back at the Night Stalker base, we see that Abby has to shower to clean herself off of all the blood she's covered in for some reason. And she starts having memories of her father, right? Whistler saying they lost its memories. She shouldn't have because it's Whistler saying that he lost his daughters to Karen, but she's remembering all this for some reason. And she's kind of sobbing and having a moment here. And they asked her if she wanted to do it. And she's like, I don't like doing tasteless nudity, but if it fits the plot, you know, I'll do whatever. And they ended up not making her nude. She thought it was a good scene there. Yeah. Apparently somewhere in here, blade and, and Abby fucked. What? There's nowhere it could have fit, but that was originally written in there. But uh, I don't know. It would have been out of place in every way possible. It wouldn't have yeah. fit the pacing of the movie. It wouldn't have fit the the style of the movie or even the trilogy. Their age difference kind of weird. It's kind of like a sister in a way, like you said earlier, I think. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. And I'm glad, quite frankly, it was cut. And Jessica Bill might have told them to go fuck themselves on it, too. I don't know <laughs> how it was cut. I just know that it was cut. Weirdness. But... uh takeaway here is King's alive and he's recovering and they have like a little ER room in their base, right? Meanwhile, at the vampire base, we see that uh, Drake and Danica are hanging out and she's got like a crucifix necklace on and we find out that she was a good Catholic girl before she was turned and Drake explains how he was there when Christ was crucified and he watched it himself and he drinks their blood and it's pretty much hinted they bang there and uh on the commentary, it was hinted that he was basically doing something to make Danica more powerful. And I actually think that entire scene is not in the theatrical f- version of the film. Do you remember that? I'm not going to lie. I was in and out watching the third one. So there's a lot I don't remember that I remember 
poorly. I feel like it's not in the movie or it's heavily edited, but they, they have like he's feasting on Danica's blood like Dracula is. And Goyer basically on the commentary said he was making her more powerful. Yeah, it doesn't seem familiar. But back at the Night Stalker base, we see Blade prepping for the hunt, and he's he's popping his inhaler on top of their base, right? And the their base is actually a boat. I just want to point that out. And they actually shot it on a boat. And people, including David Goyer, were regularly getting seasick and vomiting, like off the side of the boat, because the fucking set was moving the whole time. Again, why make shit so difficult? <sighs> they could have done it on a set. I don't know. New director. New director. It's all I can say. But um Blade, while he's popping his inhaler, he, he's witnessed by Zoe, and he's basically trying to explain to her that he has to take it so he won't be bad. And she's like, why don't you just not be bad? Right? Which is what we've all been thinking for three movies, right? Yeah. And um, Summerfield calls him in, and she says that she found one of the vampire hideouts, and they go to head out on a mission. And they have a whole briefing section here. Ryan Reynolds even makes some jokes to Blade, and Blade's in the room, and he's nodding. Wesley Snipes refused to film the scene. So they took footage of Wesley Snipes standing in that room from a different part of the movie and just would cut to Wesley Snipes nodding his head and shit. Dear God. I guess that was on one of those from Blade post-it notes. (laughs) But he needed to be in the room for it to make sense, and Goyer at least made that work, right? So we see Blade and Abigail show up, basically, outside of the vampire base. And Virago's there meeting with the police chief. And... I don't know. They they startle Virago and the police chief, and Abby ends up dusting Virago. And Blade asks the police chief what the fuck's on the inside. And the chief says he can't tell him, because if he does, the vampires will kill him. Kill you, motherfucker. I'll kill you. I'll just enjoy better. I do want to say that the vampires were, were dusted in all three films. And in the first film, they're very stationary when they get dusted. The second film, for some reason, they did like this weird explosion effect. But the third one, they had the vampire dusting down pat. Like, they get yeah. killed while fully moving, and the physics remain with the ashes. And it's it's really present in this scene when Virago's head ends up fucking flipping down the dashboard of the car with the fangs on it. <laughs> it's really cool. But Chief Barry takes uh, Blade and Abby into this giant warehouse, and we just see rows and rows of people sedated in plastic wrap with drugs being pumped into them and their blood being pumped out of them. And it's a blood farming facility. And there was a very important scene deleted from the first Blade film. Deacon Frost takes Karen and he shows her one of his walk-in coolers and he has people hanging in the coolers with drugs pumping into him. He says, I have them in a comatose state and I'm draining their blood. This is my plan for when the blood God comes. Uh, This will be our food supply. And he, what did he call it? He had a name for it and everything. And they cut the scene out of the first movie. And I really wish they wouldn't have, because this is supposed to show that this was a Deacon Frost plan from the beginning. And they're still working off of what Deacon started. And I really like that connection through the whole thing, right? Like he had this good idea and, and they're going with what was left of it. Yeah, that makes him seem a lot less like a an egotistical fucko and more like he actually had a plan. So yeah, that, right. that, that could have been important. And I don't mean like this was in the script and not filmed. This is a filmed deleted scene in the deleted scene section. And it's not like, oh, they haven't even color coded it. It was ready to rock and they didn't utilize it. And I mean, I guess in in a vacuum, it didn't affect the plot of the first movie. They probably weren't expecting to get a trilogy out of it at the time. But I don't think it would have hurt to keep it. Either way, they didn't fucking keep it. So it's gone. (laughs) 
But it's really funny. If you look, some of the people only have one shoe on. Some of them look homeless. Some of them still have their cell phone in their hand. And it's supposed to represent that they literally just grabbed anybody off the fucking street that they could. Yeah. Blade lets Chief Barry go until he kills him. shooting <laughs> him in the back. And he has a lab tech shut down the facility, which basically kills all the comatose people. He just has her put in a code to fucking, you know, inject lethal or however it works. Yeah. It's not the only farming plant, she says, though. But he's shutting down the one that he can, okay? Now we have the massacre of the Night Stalkers. <laughs> we cut back to their boat base, and we see Summerfeld reading a Braille book to Zoe. And we can see that Hedges and Dex are playing basketball. I bet Dex is kicking short-ass Patton Oswalt's ass. I'm just saying. It's kind of a funny <laughs> scene to see him trying to play basketball. Was this supposed to be a throwback to white men can't jump? <laughs> but uh, we see... Whistler, like Chris Christopherson Whistler, show up in a suit and try to strangle King until the camera cuts away. Chris said he had a really hard time filming this scene because one of his sons looks exactly like Ryan Reynolds to him. <laughs> he was oh, not damn. comfortable choking him. Yeah. But the power goes out. Zoe says something about it. Summerfield automatically knows that they're fucked. And she tells Zoe to go hide. They have her walk to the base blind while the camera's following her and doing like helicopter shots and stuff. And it's actually done really well. Cause she like walks past the slaughtered bodies of hedges and decks and doesn't even know it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like you, you only know they're dead because you can see it, but she's got her walking stick. And, uh, I don't know. I thought it was really well shot. Zoe goes and and hides in an air duct and, uh, they're trying to figure out how to make Natasha act blind. And I don't remember who suggested it to David, but they're like, write her name really big on three spots throughout the scene somewhere in there and tell her her name's written three times and to look for it while she's walking. Hmm. And that would make her look blind because she's just aimlessly looking around the room for no reason without overdoing it because she's searching for something. It works. That's a really neat trick. I remember yeah. that. But basically she stumbles across evil Whistler who is quickly moving all around her so much that it can't be dead. Whistler, it's got to be a vampire, right? Maybe one that could shapeshift. <laughs> and it's a cool, creepy scene because you see him behind her one way and the camera pans and then it pans back again to that scene and he's not there. And then it pans a, a final time and you can see he's behind her. David Goyer said that like when you're trained as a director, that is a, a no-go panning <laughs> shot. You're never supposed to do it that way. But he thought it looked creepy as fuck to represent Dracula like just vamping across the room. He did it. So eh, he's got some tricks up his sleeve. I'll yeah. give him that. It's the continuity problems, maybe. But uh, <laughs> the camera cuts away, and we hear Summerfield scream as, as she assumed dead, right? The problem is Natasha smokes a lot, and she could not fucking scream to save her life for that scene. So they had to get somebody else to do the scream. No shit. Yeah, it was just like a really raspy scream when she did yeah. it because she smoked so heavily. So that's pretty funny. But Drake ends up finding Zoe in a vent. Because that's who Whistler was. If you hadn't figured that out yet, it was fucking Drake. <laughs> and he can't reach her until he stretches his fingers across the room. And that's some, like, Francis Ford Coppola, Bram Stoker's Dracula shit right there. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought of when I saw it. And the camera cuts away, so you don't know what happens there. Abby and Blade show up at the base, and we find the whole team massacred, except for King, who's missing. And Summerfield is left hanging with a note from Drake. And I don't know if she's supposed to be partially turned, bleeding out, dead. You just see Abby grab her and dive down, screaming and crying. And Blade's like, take that rage and use it. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, you need to get fucking pissed now. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a poorly delivered line to me. 
Oh, I thought that was one of the better ones. Nah. That's funny. That's funny how we saw that differently. I think it was supposed to reference back when Whistler shot himself in the head in the first Blade movie, and you just see him getting angry and loading all his guns, and he goes and kills everybody. Yeah. And I think he was just like, you need to fucking do it. Like, he was accepting her now. You know loss. You're now an adult, and you can come <laughs> fight with me. But uh, we see King wake up at the vampire base to a reaper-like Pomeranian that's licking him. <laughs> and we find out that the, the Pomeranian's name is Pac-Man, which is <laughs> yes. fucking awesome because the way the mouth opens. And uh, like I said, this dog farts a lot the whole time they're filming. He's just fucking crop dusting everybody. <laughs> and Danica, Asher, and Jarko are all also in the room with, with Hannibal King and the dog. And they just take turns beating the shit out of King, basically. And they want some information out of him about the secret weapon that they know the Night Stalkers are working on. And basically, he just throws out jokes and insults constantly. And I can't put them all in here. Okay. Uh, They're great. But I want to say that somewhere in here, Hannibal King calls Danica a cock juggling thunder cunt. And that is in both the theatrical and rated version, and they have no fucking clue how it got past the ratings for it. <laughs> and that is the moment when I decided I liked Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> and I heard that a lot of the shit he made up, I mean, it wasn't like completely improv. He's like, how about I say this and this and this? And there was so much shit and it was so bad they had to just start cutting shit out. <laughs> so I want to know what else was in there. No shit. But shit gets dark right here. Since King won't tell them what they want to know, Danica lets him know that she's just going to fucking turn him into a vampire again. And then Drake walks into the room with Zoe. So we know that they have Zoe now. And she's like, and I'm going to lock you in the room with this little girl so that you'll fucking feed on her when the hunger takes over. And that's when he's like, God damn, what do I do now? And he <laughs> looks like he's going to spill the beans. But back at Night Stalker HQ, Blade and Abby are talking as they prep for battle and it really mirrors the speech that Karen gave blade in the first movie, but it's blade giving it to Abby now. So it's like a passing of the torch kind of scene. Yeah. And we see another night stalker agent pop up from one of the sleeper cells. Right. And I can't think of his name right now. And I feel really bad, but it's a foreign name and he has a foreign accent and Goyer thought it'd be funny if, if the guy talked that way the entire time behind the scenes, even though that wasn't his real accent. <laughs> and Wesley Snipes thought the guy was not American the whole time. <laughs> and that, I guess that's just another Goyer joke. Uh, and I feel bad I didn't write his name down. Basically, he says he's their, their driver for the evening, and he has a video from Summerfield. And it's a very good video. She's crying. She's sad. She says, I know I'm, I'm dead at this point if you're seeing this. Please take care of Zoe for me. I've been reading these books to her finish. Um, I made a workable strain of Daystar. You just have to fucking lodge it into Dracula somehow. So it'll merge with his blood. You can put it in a bullet or an arrow. It'll take out all the vamps. The problem is, I don't know if you'll survive Blade because you're a hybrid and I didn't have enough time to test it. The entire scene is fantastic and her acting is fantastic. My question is, when the fuck did she have time to film that? Yeah, when when did she decide, like, huh, things are getting pretty intense. I should make that, if you're watching this, I'm dead video about now. <laughs> and the only time it makes sense is when she tells Zoe to go hide. Yeah. But, like, Drake was in the building already, and I recalled the power being out, but maybe he was just fucking with the power. I don't know, it just kind of bothered me. I was like, that's a pretty drawn-out speech, and I have that much time saying it. But, but long story short, she filmed this important speech somewhere before getting killed and sent it over to the uh, sleeper cell base, right? Yeah, she found time to do that, but she couldn't find time to make more than one dose. She actually didn't make any doses. 
The guy says that he made the dose, like he made the dose at the base and then came there to pick him up. Ah, he said he only had enough time to manufacture one shot and they can fire it from, and it's whatever the bullets are called out of the giant steak gun or an arrow tip. It has to be one of the two. Like he says that even though the giant steak gun thing didn't get used in the movie, (laughs) but now we dive into the third act of the film and and shit just kind of accelerates here and it turns into an action film from here on out basically. Right. Yeah. But we see Drake telling Zoe that. There is no heaven because she's telling him that she's not afraid to die. She'll go to heaven and see her mommy. And uh, and he's like, since there's no heaven, you might as well let me turn you into a vampire so you can be young forever. And she lets him know she doesn't I mean, she doesn't say she doesn't give a fuck. But she basically, with that <laughs> attitude, says, my friends are coming for me and they're going to kill you. Yeah. And uh, it's a cute kid. <laughs> but we cut to King still getting the shit beat out of him. And he's telling them that he has a tracking nodule hidden in his body. And it's, I think he says it's in his ass cheek or something. And yes. it's going to save him. And they're just like making fun of him. Oh, yeah, tracking module, blah, 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 blah. And, he, and they all start coughing. And he's like, and right now you're breathing dusted silver being pumped through the HVAC system, <laughs> which means that my friends are here and the fat lady has sung and he holds his arms up. <laughs> Nothing happens. Let me yeah. ask him if any of them have a cell phone. Right. <laughs> and then Blade dives through the window and he does superhero landing. Again. The way the scene was shot, he says the fat lady has sung and Blade just drops through the window. However, when editing it, the editor called Goyer and he's like, man, it'd be fucking funny if we did this. <laughs> so they took Ryan back in the room and had him film, you know, the scene where he's like looking around and asking anybody's got a cell phone and they just fucking edit it that way. I think it was fantastic. But basically, Blade superhero lands in the room and just fucking runs off and leaves Hannibal King chained up. <laughs> and he looks around like, what the fuck? And uh, that's what he said Blade would do. He said Blade wouldn't stop. Yeah. To cut him loose, he'd go kill some vampires. <laughs> Whatever Snipe says Blade would do, that's what we're going to do. Honestly, though, he he is Blade. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he says Blade would do is probably what Blade would do, right? Oh. But, uh, you know, Blade just runs through the facility and he takes out all the paintball mask wearing vampires just very easily. Cause that's literally what they use for paintball mask. and took the yeah. goggles out. Um, we see Abby like do this cool flip into the room and land down. She just wanted to point out in the commentary. She actually did that. They didn't want her to do it. And she's like, fuck you. You see these abs? I got this. <laughs> that's not what she said, but they worked out very hard for this movie and they literally did any stunt they could. And, and according to Goyer, they were only, like I said earlier, not allowed to do things near an explosion or shrapnel flying. Other than that, they did it and they wouldn't let Ryan get body slammed into fucking metal. But when you see him get thrown into concrete by Triple H somewhere in the ass beating girl and he slides eight feet in a wall, Ryan yeah. Reynolds. He, I think I can't remember if he broke a rib or not. He got fucked up during that scene because he just let <laughs> Triple H chunk him. And uh, they were trying to do a mat and he wouldn't slide right. And he's like, I guess we got to use concrete. <laughs> so that's how he slid. They threw him on concrete. But uh, nice. I think it's cool that he did that. But yeah, Abby flips in the room, cuts his chains, and puts her earbuds in because we saw her earlier in the movie on her Mac because the vampire hunters use Macs too. She makes a playlist to go whoop ass to listen to in her iPod when she's fighting. I think it's kind of cool. That's something I probably would do with 100 vampires, except for you probably get killed because you can't hear what's going on. But she's got this. She's got this. And uh, she starts kicking some vampire ass herself. However, unlike the Deadpool movie where he forgot his Hello Kitty bag of ammunition, she <laughs> throws him a bag and says, I got some goodies for you. Try to keep up. Right. And so he's going to be armed. Still doesn't have the steak cannon thing. Sorry. It just doesn't make an appearance here. <laughs> but basically, the next several minutes are lots 
of martial arts fights and vampires getting dusted left and right. Like no matter if it's Abby kicking their ass or Hannibal King kicking ass or Blade kicking ass. And I just want to point out for some reason, Hannibal King and Abigail are just as strong as the vampires. Like, yeah. It, it was always pointed out the vampires are stronger before, but they can hold their own in martial arts fights. I get it that they got weapons specifically made for killing them. So the guns and the bows should kick their ass, but they kung fu fight them too. Yeah. <laughs> A little out of place. Agreed. But Abby manages to save Zoe, and they snuck a second use of the arc blade in because in screenings, they were like, oh, I really wish she'd use that weapon again because she only used it on the teenagers. Yeah. So that's why when she goes to to save Zoe, she randomly gets jumped and just pops it up behind her back and cuts a vampire in half. They just threw it back in there. I loved it. I love that weapon. It was really cool. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to hear the science on how it works. It'll probably ruin it for me, but it's a cool fucking idea for the movie. Hey, I got this. It works the same way that a lightsaber works. Oh, see, now it's okay. Kyber crystals. Oh, see, I knew you'd know. (laughs) (laughs) But after we see Abby save Zoe, uh, we see King get cornered by a vamp Pomeranian. And two vamp Dobermans, okay? And he's basically, what the fuck? And he takes a huge run, jumps up in the air, and he grabs like a rafter or something, right? And does a pull-up. And the dogs can't stop running and slide out the window. And you just hear them fall, and you hear like brakes lock up, and like, and they're dead, right? (laughs) And um, he walks backwards away from the window, flipping the bird at the hole, trips over this like skyline bump, and falls through, hits his head, and lands in the room, right? Yes. Let's just three stooges this and apparently the the bit yeah and apparently it's you're actually right that's the hole he was pinned in earlier that's the skylight that the blade dropped through and the bar was supposed to break when he hit his head on it and he just went dunk and for some reason they didn't reshoot it that's another scene gordon doesn't like if you don't like it reshoot it huh i don't know if his budget was fucked but basically jarko finds him down there and he asks king if he's seen his dog have you tried the lobby But Blade finds Drake in this conference room, and he offers Drake a modern greeting. Motherfucker. I like that. And basically what ensues is a pretty badass sword fight. And Dominic Purcell did the sword fight the entire time without a stunt double, including the wire work. Nice. And I cannot find any mention of him having any martial arts or sword fight training before this movie. So he just went all in. However, Snipes was too cool to do most of the fight. So Snipes <laughs> is in any of the face close-ups, and his double did the rest of the fight. Little-known Aussie actor from a uh, TV show did the whole fight. Snipes pussed out. <laughs> Wouldn't say it to his face. But you That's know what I was going to say. You got two things I want you to say to his face now. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it to his face, but he was obviously, I don't know. The whole time I heard these stories about Snipes, I'm like, what a dick and then when i read about the lawsuit i'm like whoa i wonder if they actually did fuck him and breach his contract the whole time you know yeah. what i mean and he was just like fuck you you're gonna, i carried this shit and you're gonna fuck me you know <laughs> i don't know because what you find out is this movie was trying to set up a night stalker franchise this was oh. goyer's plan and there was a mid-credit scene that's cut and you can find it on youtube completely filmed and edited and they ditched it last minute. I'm assuming they were told there's no way in hell they're getting a spinoff trilogy because this movie did so poorly. It is quickly showing that this movie was made to set up another franchise. Yeah. Now Marvel knows how to do it. <laughs> well, Marvel didn't actually make this movie. The rights reverted back to Marvel after this film. 
It, it's in that whole shaky mess. Like Ghost Rider and Blade went back to Marvel the same day, basically. Huh. So at this time, it wasn't. So, I don't remember who the fuck. Oh, New Line Cinema. So New Line Cinema had the rights to them. And it went, it ended up back in Marvel's hands and they haven't done anything with either of them yet, but I'll get to that. <laughs> but this, this, this final sword fight scene with blade and Drake is intercut with King fighting Jarko until King manages to grab like one of their syringes or bullets and put it in Jarko's mouth. And he fucking uppercuts him and busts it. Right. Which puts the silver in him, dust him, which is a really cool scene. However, Jarko, for some reason has metal plated fangs, the whole movie that they like to show. And, and I guess that's what pierced it. I could have done without that, but I, I do like how he puts the fucking aim on his mouth and uppercuts him. Right. Yeah. Like I said earlier, that was actually Ryan Reynolds getting his ass beat the entire time other than the final body slam. Cause they, and he offered to do it. They just wouldn't let him do it because he already got hurt when he got thrown in the concrete. <laughs> but during all of this, Abby manages to take out a lot more vamps with her bow, including Danica's brother, who really doesn't get much of a death scene. He just dies <laughs> until Danica pins her down with, with a hell of gunfire and King has to tackle her and fight her, okay? And at this point, Danica whoops King's ass and just picks him up and chunks him. And I guess that's supposed to go back to what Goyer was saying, that the cut scene with Dracula made her stronger. I don't know. Uh. But she's whooping his ass. But back at the main event, we see that Drake morphs into his, like, full demon armor form and quickly gets the upper hand on Blade. And he's actually about to deliver the killing blow right after delivering a uh, motherfucker line himself because he really liked that <laughs> phrasing and Abby shoots her magic enchanted arrow at Drake's back. Drake turns around quick catches the arrow and snaps the, uh, the, the arrow shaft in half and throws the pieces down on the ground and Abby distracts Drake by firing a second arrow at him and blade picks the arrow head up. Somehow he knows what it is, I guess. And he fucking <laughs> slams it in a Drake's body and we get like this, this scene where the camera kind of cuts into his bloodstream and we can see the virus get released and bonding with his blood. Yeah. And he collapses and coughs and we see like the, the coronavirus come out of his mouth and fly into the air. Is it too soon for coronavirus jokes? No, this is fine because the, this virus is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he collapses to the ground. Okay. And. Honestly, though, you, you do see like the particulates come out of his mouth and you start seeing vampires in the entire building dusting as they breathe the air in, just like Summerfield said in the video, said vampires in the immediate area will get dusted until it spreads further. And Danica is actually about to take King out until she breathes it in. And, and they're not actually dusting. They actually, you can see their veins in their skin. They kill over and die as a normal corpse. Yeah. The dusting doesn't happen until the sun rises and their windows, like you said, the sun comes to the windows and dusts the bodies, but they actually just die as a corpse. And this saves King. But as Drake lies dying, he lets Blade know that his kind has been trying to make the perfect vampire. However, one already exists. Drake says that he doesn't need to survive because the future of his race already exists in Blade. And he lets Blade know that he fought with honor and he respects that. And Drake says because he respects that, he's going to leave him with a parting gift. Then just like Blade's mom's speech to him, in the first movie, he says, just remember that sooner or later, the thirst always wins. The virus then finishes the job and Drake falls over dead. And we see Blade pass out and we're unaware of his fate at this time. And we see the FBI storm the building and the agents see the, the bodies turn into ash from the sun or the leftover ash. So you can see the, the, the main agent from the beginning of the movie. He's, he realizes something's up. Right? Yeah. And they rush into the crater that was made by Drake and Blade body slamming each other to Blade's body, and the camera fades to black. 
then we go to the final scene. And this scene goes differently depending on which version of the film you watch. And <laughs> yeah, it this does. is the only plot altering change. And I'll start with the theatrical version, even though it's not what I watched, but I had to go back and find that ending, okay? In the theatrical version, you see the FBI and some doctors ready to give Blade an autopsy, and then you see his terribly CGI'd eyes open up, and then the body turns into Drake. And we assume that was his parting gift. He morphed into Blade's body to to throw the cops off his trail, right? Yep. And I, I wanted to point out the CGI'd eyes because they shot the scene, and according to Goyer, they told Wesley Snipes to open his eyes, and he refused. So he didn't <laughs> have to open his eyes. So they shot it. A blade took his eyes from an <laughs> took his eyes from another scene and CGI'd him on there. And I don't know. It is so terribly done when you know it, but I don't think I would have noticed it if I didn't know because it's so quick. <laughs> and the unrated version of the film, which is the one I watched for the podcast, and that's why I knew something was up. Like I was like, wait a minute, this isn't what I remember from the theaters. <laughs> it goes the same way until the CGI eyes open up. And Blade stands up, and you hear this growling sound in the background. And he basically whoops all the doctors and FBI agents in the room's ass, except for one nurse that's on the ground. And this is a double the whole time. That's why the camera's behind him, because Snipes wouldn't do it. <laughs> and uh, Blade corners a nurse, and you hear the growling, and he leans in, and it fades out. And it's like the thirst gave in, and he had to feed. Yeah. So was the advice supposed to be the parting gift from Drake? Like the advice about the thirst. I don't know what the parting gift would be, but this was the ending Goyer intended. He calls it his Empire Strikes Back ending. He wanted a dark ending in the movie. And if you listen to like a main element through all three films, it's that Blade's trying so hard to be human and everybody keeps telling him that he's a monster and the thirst is going to give in. And it just showed that in the end, even though he's a hero, he almost died and he fucking had to feed to get up off that table. And he's a vampire just like the rest of them. That's kind of a dark ending. Yeah, I can get where Goyer was coming from with that, but I think there had already been too many times set up throughout the movies that it it's just weird for it to finally go there. It didn't feel like it built to that. It was just like, oh, by the way, this will eventually happen. Technically, though, in the first, because this is the only movie where he didn't get juiced up on blood for his final fight. He just had the fight, right? This is but true. But in the first movie, he's dying of blood loss, and he has to feed off a of Karen to live and fight. And in the second movie... He's dying and he has to go in the fucking the blood pool and yeah. drink the blood to fight and live. This is the same thing, only he's even closer to dying this time. Yeah, you're not. So wrong. when push came to shove, there was nobody there to offer him free blood. So he's going to take it. Yeah. And how did Whistler say he found him in the first movie? Feeding off of homeless people in alleys. You know what? I want to bring something up real quick. When when you were talking about that in the first movie and it was like, well, why the hell didn't he didn't Whistler just think he was a fucking vampire and kill him? Why did he choose to grab him and blah, 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 blah. In the second one, there's a cut scene of a flashback to him finding him and he finds him in broad daylight killing people. That and that actually makes perfect sense. And that's why Whistler knew there was something different about him and why he, he took him. I do want to say before we wrap this up, there is one final scene in the movie theatrical or unrated after the CGI eyes on the table that'll haunt you for the rest of your life. <laughs> we get a final voiceover from Hannibal King because Ryan Reynolds has monologues for days in this movie. <laughs> and it just says, and Blade, the virus didn't kill him because he was a hybrid. His heart never stopped beating. It just simply slowed down. And so he slept waiting for the moment when he can walk the earth again. So now he's the new legend. 
So that was in my unrated version. I could, I'm assuming that was in your theatrical version as well. I believe so. And it, it applies both ways because if the body turned to Drake, they'd hunt for blade, but blades in hiding now until he's needed again. Right. Yeah. Cause you would assume the virus is supposed to go around and kill the vampires eventually as it spreads throughout the earth. Right. Yeah. Which I, that that's why I said the virus in this, in the movie's dumb. Cause I don't see the, the little virus particles are supposed to float all the way around the planet and find every vampire. I don't, I don't, just depends how it passes, I guess. What if humans can be carriers? Now, if they would have explained that, that humans can be carriers and 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 it only affects them, that I'm okay with. But they do the whole thing with all the, the, the shit flying in the air and the, the virus yeah, attacking I mean, the blood you're cells. you're right, but I, I feel like that's, that's a very specific setting. Because she said it's going to immediately kill all the vampires in the immediate area. It'll take some time to spread. So yeah. I think that was supposed to just show... We saved everybody's ass right here at this Daystar era. And Daystar is a reference from something else from the comics. I don't remember what specifically. It might not even be Night Stalkers. But speaking of Night Stalkers, there was like a, a mid-credits, post-credits scene where Abby and Hannibal King fight their way into a casino. And Hannibal King has the giant gun. <laughs> and they kick their way in. And I don't... I haven't seen it in a while. It's easily accessible on YouTube, but basically a werewolf pops out somewhere in the casino and they have to fucking mow down and kill a giant werewolf in the middle of the casino. And it's supposed to show that even though all vampires are dead now, the night stalkers are still needed. Part of me would have been okay with this. It's actually, you should check it out on YouTube. It's actually shot well. You know what I mean? Like it was done to be in the movie. It just, some studio exec had to like nixed it before the movie count in theaters. Huh. But, um, you know, it, it would have set them up and we could have watched Abby and, and Hannibal King hunt down werewolves and fucking mummies and demons and whatever the hell. And that that would have been pretty neat. And I'm not going to beat this movie over the head like a dead horse. I've said it like multiple times. It's a fun movie. It's a good movie by itself. I can always rewatch it. Ryan Reynolds has me laughing my ass off and it's got some good fights. It just feels weird in the trilogy. Yeah, it feels weird. It tries to put a bow on it for a trilogy's sake, and you you can see where effort was put in there. But uh, like we said, you know, the first one, the first one's the the quote unquote action movie. The second one's the the horror movie, and then the third one's the comedy. It's just it's a weird little trilogy, and uh, kind of far off from our bread and butter, but something that was going to happen sooner rather than later and now that we've done it it'll take longer before we have to do underworld and i'm okay with that (laughs) (laughs) i do want to say though i made my goyer jokes but you can tell he puts a lot of thought into his shit and he has some highly successful films that he wrote as well and you hear that he had planned for blade one to end one way and then blade two to be blade you know, like in the vampire apocalypse. And yeah. I don't, I don't recall if we said it on the second film, but he was actually wanting to transition from the second film to the third film the same way as well. Okay. And he never got to do it. But if his whole plan right out the gate was to end up like, like he had written it, this happens a blade and then the shit hits the fan. And then this is my Mad Max movie. And he never got to make it. I wonder if that would have been a cleaner two-parter or a trilogy. Yeah. And he was constantly being told no by the studios and having like, well, we can do this instead. Yeah. And we give the guy, we were giving the guy some shit, but you know, you never know, you never know what happens behind the scenes. I've brought up uh Knights of bad before and what happens when a studio takes a movie away. And this, this just sounds like it had too many bad things happening at the same time for it to be successful, regardless of who was involved. And honestly, the third movie is destined for failure. If your star doesn't want to participate in it. Yeah. 
I mean, that didn't help at all, right? Yeah. Weird shit. But as interesting as it would have been to see Goyer's vision come to fruition or the Night Stalkers trilogy or movie happen, we didn't <laughs> get that. But what we did get was a Blade TV show that ran on Spike, I believe. I only saw a couple of episodes. Oh, yeah. And it was actually a continuation of the story after Blade Trinity. Like, all the events of the three films had happened. I'm assuming it wasn't very well received if it only made it one season. Yeah. Blade was played by a guy named Sticky Fingers, as I saw online. So I'm assuming he was uh, a rapper or a musician of some type. And I probably will go back and watch that show <laughs> at some point <laughs> now that we've done this trilogy. But Marvel is now not as fragmented as it used to be. They have almost all of their intellectual property back. They half have Spider-Man back. And I think after they get the rest of Spider-Man back, I think they're done at that point. But like I said earlier, they got Ghost Rider and Blade back. They announced a new Blade movie is going to be made. I think Rona has set it back. They have picked the new Blade, and it's Mahershala Ali, which, I mean, the guy has been in so much shit. I mean, he was Cottonmouth on the Luke Cage show, and he was on the most recent scene in True Detective, and he's in so much other shit, and you can look him up. He's a house of cards. He's real big on that as Remy, but... He's a fantastic actor. I think he has the look, and I think he can, like, deadpan deliver any tough fuck you line he has to say. <laughs> and I think he is going to be a fantastic Blade, except for one concern I have. Okay. Don't know anything about a martial arts background with this guy. Uh, I don't know if it exists. Blade's got to be able to fight. But I'm not, I'm not going to use that as a holdback until I've seen anything, because Keanu Reeves never knew how to fight before Matrix. I did almost all of the scenes. He never knew how to shoot a gun before John Wick. I mean, I'm sure he shot a gun, but you know what I mean? Like now he's a technically a three gun champ, right? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if the actor cares and there's enough money behind it, you can learn it. Let's look at Disney's behind this, right? It's a Marvel movie. Let's look at the star Wars movies. How many actors in those movies drew their entire lightsaber fight scenes and their only training was the star Wars movie. Like Ewan McGregor and Hayden yeah. Christensen. They did that entire fight in revenge of the Sith practice for nine months to do it right so you can you can train the martial arts it was going to be hard to find an actor i think that could deliver the tough and gruff lines while still being serious and that's probably the guy to do it so we just got to see how it goes i hope they decide to go r-rated a little worried with disney and i hope they decide to go dark i want night stalkers in there i want morbius in there i want well they don't have the rights to morbius he's tied to spider-man but i want ghost rider <laughs> in there you know whatever they can do like i i it would be interesting to see what to do because the ideas the background the lore it's all there yeah i want to see who's writing i'm more i'm more interested in that to, and then then to see how uh, how they pull it off and and where where in the story they come from, if they throw away the original trilogy and just do a whole new thing or. Oh, they're going to throw it away. Absolutely. I guarantee you they throw it away because it probably doesn't. The big thing in the MCU now is they try to tie it in with the comics, right? Well, sometimes they bend the comics will to the, to the movies, Yeah, but they're going to want to do their own thing that ties into whatever they've done in the comics. So I would expect Dracula again, but in a different way, Dr. Okay. Strange, actually Dr. Strange was a big part of teaming up Blade and Hannibal King and Drake in the comics too. Like they were called the, the midnight Suns and ghost riders with them. Like there was this whole dark, like magical team and they could use Dr. Strange for that. And I could see that happening with Sam Raimi being in charge of the new Dr. Strange movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's a big comic book guy too. So we'll have to see. Well guys, that's it for the blade trilogy series. You guys are going to have to tune in on the next episode. When we cover director, Robert Eggers. Whoa. The 
but I think once we've covered him, we've done all of the, the more recent horror movie directors, and we can start going back to the roots again. Yeah, the ones with more than two movies. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> but as usual, guys, thanks for downloading the show and spreading the word. Please do not forget to rate and review us online, and please, please send us comments, questions, and suggestions to our email, sbspodcast at gmail.com. We would also love it if you could follow our Twitter and Instagram, both at sbspodcasts. This might motivate us to use them more. See you guys on the next one. Thanks for listening. The fat lady should be singing right about now. <laughs> <laughs>